Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we are doing an AMA episode for reasons we'll get to in a little bit. But first, I got to point out the name that Brian is using in his like Zencaster profile thing this week. I don't point these out very often. Used to, used to be a thing, but now I'm just going to do it if it's really good. And this one struck me. You, you showed up today as the Riddler. Yeah, I was recalling back in my bartending days, we had this regular who came into the bar. Uh, I wouldn't say he was there all the time, but once a week or so you would see him. And his way of engaging with every bartender was just to ask tons of questions about everything, like your personal life. He would ask about the sports team. He'd ask about your opinion on politics. He just wanted to know all of your thoughts on every possible topic. And I was like, you know what? I, I really like that guy. And then you, you and I got to talking about it and figured out it's actually quite a, uh, a nice little tactic to get people interested in having long form discussions with you. And obviously doing an AMA show, it came to mind and it just is putting me in the mood to recall my time answering the Riddler's questions. Yeah. You're not the Riddler though. You're getting riddled. I'm getting riddled. Correct. I mean, I guess I could let you read all the questions and you could just like live vicariously through the people in our discord. But yeah, so it's it's funny to me that you're just like, oh, I like that guy because obviously you like that guy. All that guy wanted to do was have you talk about yourself. Right. And that is in case people are wondering, like you want people to like you just do that. And at the end of it, they're going to know nothing about you, most likely. But if you give someone a chance to talk about themselves, they will love it and they will love you. And they'll be like, oh, you're a great listener. Like, you know, what What a good friend, good positive person. It's possibly a tactic, you know, like they, they could be doing it purposefully. And it's like, you know, when you start to think about it, it's like, oh, this is like kind of manipulative, actually. But at the end of the day, it's like doing net good. So I don't really think too badly about it or anything, but... Uh, I yeah, like to think, is. let me tell you what I think the Riddler had going on. I think he was a time traveler and he was just trying to set me up for my future career of being a successful Magic the Gathering podcast host. He knew I was going to have to do this Word. to support myself. And he's like, I'm going to give you the practice now and I'm just going to start start riddling you. And it, I feel prepared for this episode because of his influence on my life. Well, see, now I think that this dude showed up because of me, because if you weren't already good at podcast hosting, I wouldn't have invited you to be on the podcast. And then maybe things could have taken a turn for me. What if it was future you? I'm trying to recall the guy's face now. And I'm like, could it possibly have been future Jerry who came back to prepare <laughs> me to get ready for this podcast? Nah, man, I, I always had faith that you'd be a good podcaster. So, okay, that's good. So you wouldn't have time traveled to set me up for success is what you're saying. I think, well, uh, arguably you'd be more successful if you were not doing this podcast and you were doing something else instead. <laughs> well, that's a whole whole different bag of worms, I think. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't think I would spend my time travel time going back and doing that. Unless right. I'm it seems like you have more important stuff to do. Maybe. It's hard to say. I'm, I'm generally not that concerned with like my future or well-being either. It's like things would have had to really take a, a dark turn. Yeah, anyway. true. So AMA episode, because... Wizards announced an announcement that they are banning things on Monday for a bunch of formats that are not standard, basically. And while we could talk about standard and there is some nuance to it, I do think that ultimately it boils down to play Bant or Team Rec. 
for the most part. And I didn't really want to do that episode for the thousandth time. Yeah, we've we've talked about these decks at length. And it's just a question of, are you playing the pow- powerful cards? Are you trying to do something else? And sometimes there's a reason to do something else. I don't think there is right now. I think you're just supposed to play the powerful cards. And I would probably include Jun Sacrifice in that mix like it's probably a little bit of route paper ah. just going on no you think it's a level below those two decks yes yes i do okay. uh i actually i played a, a few sets against nick prince for his article yesterday and he was playing bands because he loves that deck and he basically just wanted to like write about the matchup in general and well i think what's actually happening is like he's taking that side and ali's taking the jones side but okay. Allie, Allie big-timed him and was too too busy <laughs> to do uh, the actual testing, so he phoned me in. So I was I was the second choice. But the the end result was, wow, basically nothing I do matters except Bolas' Citadel, and that's not mm. really where I want to be if other people know that. And also I just feel like the uh, Team Erect matchup is probably worse than the Bant matchup. Yeah. So, do, do you think you get the most equity against random decks? being on the Jun side of things? Uh, yeah, I still think Bant has that edge. I, okay. You know, Bant is just all very powerful cards, a bunch of two-for-ones. They have roughly infinite options. And yeah. then, you know, Team Erek is more polarizing, but it just seems like the Jun sack deck across the board is worse than Bant. Okay. I mean, the short of it is... I'm over that format. I didn't want to talk about it this week. I was pretty ready to talk about either Pioneer or modern, but that seems silly given we have some massive changes coming. Sorry about that. I bought a bunch of Pioneer cards, so I doomed us all, and now it's AMA time. I would say that'll learn you. No, nope, it won't. we both know the truth. Yeah, we know it won't. There's, there's plenty of evidence that I will not learn this lesson. Yeah, so we got some questions from the folks in our Discord. I briefly looked over like the first part of these, and I'm just going to be just playing it off the cuff, I suppose. No I like preparation. that approach. Yeah, that, yeah, that's fine. Too. I also want to say, take a moment to just say thanks to all of our folks over in the Discord, uh, all of our patrons who continue to support us. It's awesome. Times are tough right now. I don't take anyone's support lightly, so I'm very happy to give back and answer a bunch of questions for our patrons this week. So thank you again one more time to all of those lovely folks. Yeah, and you know they spent their time and came up with these questions to actually give us a piece of content to put out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just very thankful for every single person in the Discord. I know I haven't been super active or anything, but, uh, you know, mental state, not not the best it's ever been, you know? We'll, we'll so, get to that. There's questions about that. <laughs> you okay. Can, you can opine okay. on that. But yeah, I, I do appreciate you, even if I'm not super active outside of the Pokemon channel. But <laughs> uh, anyway. Questions about I'm, that, too. Gas. Spoilers. Starting from the top, we have Squirrel Master asking tacos or burgers. I am a burger person. This question, I think, is more interesting for you being vegetarian. Well, I was going to give a two-pronged answer. Before I was a vegetarian, my answer would be burgers. As a vegetarian, though, I have to lean tacos. Burger replacements are good. I don't know if you've had like impossible burgers at this point. They're getting to be pretty widespread and available. Like I know Burger King has like an impossible Whopper. To me, I don't. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Impossible is just a plant-based meat, and oh. I realize that's an, a contradiction. But bear with me. It's a substitute for a hamburger, and it's getting progressively cheaper to the point where they think they're going to make it cheaper than meat very soon. And to me, my memories of a hamburger 
it is a very, very close approximation. Like I don't know that I would be able to tell the difference between an impossible Whopper and a regular Whopper. Now, when okay. you say things like that as a vegetarian, people always laugh at you and they're like, yeah, oh. of course, but try it. That's all I'll say. Try it. I, I think they're very, very similar still though. I tend to go with tacos these days just because they're, I think they're more exciting, more flavorful. You can do a lot more with a taco than you can with a fake burger. Anyway, the like impossible setups that kind of only work one way, like a traditional, you know, cheese pickles type burger, nothing uh, really flashy. You can't go medium rare all that easily. You kind of have to cook them pretty well done. So all those factors lead to me leaning tacos right now. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I don't so I knew that like plant based meat was a thing. I didn't know that it was going by impossible, and I certainly didn't know that more places were making it widely available. So mm-hmm. if I ever leave my house, I will attempt to try it because I am curious. I'll have a backup meal on deck just in case. But yeah, play it safe. That's a good idea. Yeah, um, like most most burger places, like Red Robin type places, have some type of impossible burger on their menu, but also now with the Burger King one, it's getting into fast food places too, which yeah. is a pretty big breakthrough, honestly, because it's tough to get fast food as a vegetarian. Yeah. But I, if they make it cheap enough, I mean, I, I understand why they're starting to get in the game, you know? Yeah. It's, it's getting close. It's still a little bit more than a regular burger, I think, but not much at this point. Impossible King when? Soon. Okay. Next up, Jeff Pica, favorite meal to cook. I mean, the, the one I have most reps with is a tombstone pizza. I don't know if that counts as cooking. Yeah, we all knew that answer was coming. Do you do any like long form cooking whatsoever? Are there any meals that you, I've, you know, I've tried, add a little flair to? I've tried off and on and I don't think that I'm bad at it, but it's like generally I will not eat until I'm starving. Right. So then at that point I just want a fast turnover time. You know, I, I can't really anticipate like, Oh, like an hour from now I'm going to want to eat. So I should start prepping this or whatever. And I also mostly just want to eat to survive. Yes. So doing the whole like hour of cooking and then like cleaning up and all that, it just like doesn't really appeal to me all that much. Yeah. Your, your relationship with food is so much different than my own, but I've known a few people like you in my lifetime, people who are just like, well, I have to put these calories in my body or I will die. So I'm going to find the most efficient way to do so. And that's the end of my relationship with food. Really? Uh, I, I, I do enjoy food. I do enjoy eating. I certainly enjoy, you know, like going to restaurants with other humans, but like other humans are obviously part of the fun, but yeah, man, just like doing it myself doesn't really fit into the the EV spectrum for me just because sure. it's such a big time sink. But then again, I'm also not doing a whole lot with that time. So, I <laughs> Well, I, I, it's clear to me in spending time with you that it's like lower on your priority list. So I can understand why you are not big on doing the whole food prep game. I'm mostly not either. Like I have to have the free time. And again, like you mentioned, I do right now. So I have been doing more cooking recently. The dish I cook the most is just like a uh, fried rice dish where you know, I put some rice in my rice cooker, uh, stir fry a bunch of vegetables, make like usually uh, a brown sauce, like a typical Chinese brown sauce, mm-hmm. and stir fry everything in that and mix it all around, add in some kimchi. And that is basically my go-to meal in quarantine. I just have bags of rice and fresh vegetables around all the time and make that two or three times a week probably. Although... It's probably too much rice. I should be eating way less rice. 
What can you do? <laughs> Nobody's perfect. But yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's that sounds like a, a fairly easy meal to make. But like, is is there something that you like to cook that's more extensive than that? Not really. Like, I, there's been so many recipes that I'll do once. And then I actually get to the same point you do where I'm like, well... I enjoyed this, but was it worth an hour and a half of my time to do all the prep? And yeah. I think especially not having meat in the mix again, your options condense a little bit. Not to say you can't spend a bunch of time preparing a good vegetarian meal, but I don't know that you get the same return on it. And also, I, I do try to minimize my trips to the grocery store right now. It's not like I want to go every day right. for fresh ingredients. And that's when I like can get really into cooking. Well, I'll find myself with the time and I'll go, okay, now I'm going to go to the store, try to put something cool together just not the mind state I'm in right now when it comes to getting my food. So I use a lot of things I can keep on hand, like rice, sometimes fresh vegetables, sometimes frozen vegetables. It's just good to minimize exposure, I think. Yeah, dude, agree 100%. Uh, Next up, we have a question from Matt, aka Wings. Do you play many playing card games with friends or family, i.e. poker, euchre, rummy? Well, that would require me to see friends or family, which I do not really ever. So when I did see friends and family, uh, some of these games, I, I know like growing up as a kid, I remember playing poker and rummy with my grandmother all the time before she passed uh, as a very, very young kid, like probably four or five years old playing those games. So certainly she started me on card games very young. As far as playing with my friends, we played a game basically throughout high school and a little bit even after we went away to college. Whenever we'd get back together, we'd always play this game. We called it Castle. I know a lot of other people know it as Palace. No idea. Yeah, just like a pretty standard playing card game, but we played so much Castle. Like there was, I remember summer (laughs) where we just, we rented this really cheap, crappy apartment in high school to hang out in the summer. And it was like our first place to call our own. And we just hang out all day playing Castle and, uh, I'll leave off the other stuff we were doing at the time, but Word. chilling, having a good time and playing eight hours of Castle a day. And there was a point where I swear I played so much that I felt like I could write a book on the strategic intricacies of this game. Like I was just so in tune with it. It's basically how I am with Magic now. I had devoted that level of experience to a game that nobody cared about on the planet. And I was like, well, I could write this book, but I'd be the only one reading it. So. Yeah, fair enough. Growing up, I played a lot of card games uh, with my family, and I basically don't talk to them anymore for various reasons. But it it was also like a different environment. You know, like I I think that when I started playing Magic, I had this competitive outlet. So then I chose to pursue the competitive outlet. Like that was like the default for me. But I never had that sense with the card games. And I think that if the environment was more competitive, I would have enjoyed it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But I I played a a lot of cribbage with my mom, who was the one member of my family that I did like. And uh, she she passed away a while ago. So I basically haven't like, I don't know. I can't even think of like, you know, hanging out with people and like wanting to have a deck of cards on hand or whatever. But like that used to be the case when I was a kid. Yeah. It's tough when there's so much competing for our attention now that like, it it feels bad to say it, but these card games feel like archaic in a way. Like they're just, they don't try as hard and there's some beauty in that and some elegance, but it's hard to imagine really redevoting myself to any of these card games when there's so much other stuff available out there. Right. 
Proggy Boog asks, fork in the left hand or right, and do you change hands after cutting? I had to think about this question after I read it <laughs> because it's just second nature at this point. I believe I will fork in the right despite being predominantly left-handed. And do you change hands after cutting? Yes. I will like hold a fork into a thing and then cut with my right hand and then put the fork back. <laughs> I actually have a pretty funny story about this. When I was hired for my big law internship, it was, you have to understand that growing up, there was no formality in my life. We didn't have nice things. We didn't go to nice dinners. And I really was very, very sheltered as a youth. And I remember getting ready to like go to New York City. And obviously part of the experience of these internships are a lot of like nice meals and a lot of snobbish stuff that I wasn't, I just wasn't prepared for. Like I wasn't super into it. And my wife had to sit me down and teach me how to use a fork properly because yeah. I just kind of gripped it like an animal, <laughs> like yeah. a, a you just like stab things. Or yeah, whatever. I, I really did. And I honestly, if you are not, if I'm not thinking about it, like if I'm in company that I am just completely comfortable with, I probably still do it. I probably still do it that way. Nice. And, but she had to teach me. She's like, here's how you actually use a fork. And I would do the whole thing and switch hands with the fork, but it felt so unnatural the entire time. So my default answer is fork in the left hand, gripping it like a caveman, stabbing it into whatever I'm eating. Uh, but I know the proper way of keeping it in my left hand, doing a dainty cut and then passing to my right. Yeah. My experience is pretty similar to yours, I think. And however I eat now where I try and look presentable or whatever is mostly just looking at what other people are doing or have done and kind of imitating that. Yeah. It's like it, if they're doing it, then it, I won't look bad. Right. Like they can't, they can't make fun of me or I won't seem out of place if I'm also doing the same thing as them. Yeah. For, for all the flaws that that job had and the fact that in, in a lot of ways I regret ever doing it, I don't begrudge it teaching me some of these things that I can use to kind of camouflage myself a little bit in these scenarios where that's a useful thing to be able to do because I right. had no concept of it previously. Well, I mean, shout out to your wife too. Oh, for sure. She gets, <laughs> trust me, she gets all the shout outs. She is, she is very much responsible for me being a functioning human being. So, Oh uh, yeah, I, I need someone to teach me how to do that. Uh, <laughs> ne next question comes from Peps. They ask, is the Goblins deck in modern any good? I.e. is it tier one? It is solidly tier 1.5. I played a decent amount with this deck and wrote an article about it uh, last week or the week before, and it's it's good. It, it definitely has a distinct advantage over a lot of certain archetypes, but and I, like, I, I feel like just the tippy top of modern is so close to untouchable that, you know, like Mog War Marshal is not really going to get it done. But there's also a lot of innovation that you can do with the deck. I don't have much to add to that. I think you are more advanced in Goblins technology than I am. So I'm just going to let your answer stand. But I do think this is like an interesting time to think about that unassailable tier one and the fact that we have bans or maybe unbans coming to modern on Monday. I mean, is there anything you could conceivably see happening that opens space? And why don't you just give me your, your guesses for what you think is actually going to happen come Monday? I don't know. I actually, so based, basically for the reason that we're doing this show, I also took this week off writing because it's like, 
you know, I, I had some ideas, I had some things I could work on, and now it just all seems meaningless. We have to wait until Monday. But one of the things that I floated to Cedric was like, I could write an article about what I would ban or unban in every format. And then you could post it, you know, Monday, basically when the BNR announcement goes up, which I think would be fun, but it, it would require a lot of thinking. I'm still in the camp that modern has a bunch of messed up stuff that will likely have to get banned eventually. And you might as well just like take them all out in one fell swoop. So I would, I would ban a lot of stuff in modern, but it's possible that a card from goblins would be among that. Like I, I kind of want to hit Aether Vile just because wow. it's silly and the the games where you have it are very different than the games that you don't. And it props up aggro decks, but not in like a fun or good way. You know, like I, I, I would want the aggro decks to be viable where you don't need to draw your Black Lotus every game, you know? Yeah. Can you, can you realistically do that without a very concerted effort to benefiting those archetypes. Like I, I think they're pretty far from that being the case for the most part. Well, legitimately what you'd have to do is depower everything else. Right. Which is kind of the Uro same thing specifically that is the first doing. thing that springs to mind. Well, I, I mean, that card is definitely problematic in a lot of formats, but I, I don't think that, you know, that's the thing that's allowing these decks to be humans or whatever. It's more so like, that card exists, which fuels mid-range decks, which allows them to play a bunch of like Supreme Verdicts and spot removal and stuff like that that make your deck bad that maybe otherwise wouldn't be playable, you know? Hmm. But yeah, a- Aether Vial is just like such a... Kind of like High Variance itself, but it also just means that your win percentage, like when you draw it, like it just goes up like 15% or something. It's so silly. It's interesting. This is the first time I've ever heard anyone really mention Ether Vile as a candidate. I think because those decks have lagged behind for most of modern's history. But from a gameplay perspective standpoint, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. I th- I, so to be clear, I would only ban it after I ban like eight cards first. Sure. But at that point, it's like, okay, well, this is now the most egregious thing. And I want to get everything in line with each other. You know? Yeah. I I kind of felt like we were... In, we were in an era where there could be some sweeping bands like that. The last time there were standard bands. If you remember, I talked a lot about banning eight cards in standard. And yeah. pretty pretty honestly, like I was saying that in good faith. And I thought we were getting to a place where there was some consensus built about mistakes that have been made recently. And maybe it was time to just in one fell swoop, correct them. After seeing standard being approached with such a light touch, I don't think there's any bigger plays coming for modern or even pioneer really on the horizon. I think it's going to continue to be a bunch of light touches. I think my guess is probably time for Astrolabe to go, but I don't, I don't really know. I don't know if it's that small. I don't know what our goal, I don't know what our goals are for any format right now. That's really the problem I keep coming back to. Like what are we trying to achieve? And it's, it's possible that format, I guess, attendance or whatever for tournaments of those formats has been low, which is why they're trying to not necessarily fix it, but make it Just more appealing it. to people. And because normally when you when you look at modern or pioneer or something, you can tell that something is like pretty obviously busted and has to go. And this is one of the cases I think where they're talking about banning in modern pioneer and historic where it's like, it's actually unclear what is going to happen to me. Yeah. I didn't really have any bans on my radar. The announcement took me by surprise. I didn't think it was something that was coming 
I continue to think the most important thing we could get from this ban announcement is communication and some kind of clear path forward. Yeah, I am not optimistic, though. I, I don't think that will be the case. I think there's a pretty clear approach that whatever you say can be used against you. And I get it. Like, I, I totally understand you basically are in a no win situation where no matter what you say, someone will look to either turn it against you in the future or the present. But for building kind of a coalition behind your goals for a format, I do think it would help to have some of the more prominent voices on your side, some of the more thoughtful voices on your side. And that's not going to happen with just blank announcements that say this card's gone now. It had a 52% win rate. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. What, the next thing that's going to have 52% win rate, is that gone too? Like what? what is our overarching goal for the format? That's what we need in both of these formats right now. I mean, I'm less concerned with historic. I still see that in a nascent state and do whatever you want with it until you get to a place where it actually matters. But if pioneer and modern are going to continue to be okay, I think we need some kind of blueprint going forward. Yeah. Modern used to have that. And then they kind of did away with it because it was impossible to keep up with the whole, like, you know, it's a turn four format. And then it's like, well, all these decks have like turn 3.5 kills. So rather than ban the entire format, we just do away with the old rule. And then that just means that anything goes. Yeah, anything goes and any sort of banning decision you make is just nebulous, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a long-term way forward. I, it's not, I mean, I know... It's not, clearly not. I, I know the problems with the turn four threshold, but like, just enforce it. I it, it would have been disruptive, but the loss of confidence is far more disruptive and the fact that people don't really know a path forward. So we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on Monday and we'll get a nice juicy announcement with a very clear uh, roadmap forward. I mean, it seems like a good time for it. This seems like a good reset button, but I said that going into the standard band. So what, what kind of odds would I have to give you to, to make a, a friendly wager? We can, we could wager like a, a foil, showcase oko or something <laughs> i have enough of those sitting around that i'm not using <laughs> uh, where i take the side of they will not give us a clear roadmap going forward and you take basically the the field of any sort of like nope no i wouldn't i wouldn't take just, it i i'm on your side i i don't think we're gonna get it i'm just saying it we should and it would be nice like like you know, 21 is, no. is that is that bad 20 Okos. What am I going to do with 20 Showcase Okos? I don't uh, even have a use for my four Showcase Okos. Sell them for like 20 bucks each or whatever they're worth. I don't know. Uh, no, my my number is is closer to like 150 to one. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem likely. It would be a very, very staunch change in policy over the last two years or so. Yep. Well, I, I think it might be getting to the point where they're like, oh, maybe we should change this, but we'll see. Hope so. Quinn O'Grady asks, what has been your favorite standard format of all time and why? What makes a good standard? Basically, the majority of standard where cons of Tarkir was legal. And this is where I get to point out that I worked on on that set. But if you look at cons in Fate Reforged and then maybe with Battle for Zendikar and throughout that format, I think all of those formats did a pretty good job of there being like a new thing to do every week. And the format had a lot of churn and it, it churned while also not making the old decks obsolete. 
Yeah, I think that's a great answer. There's two answers that I basically hear to this question, and I would accept either one for basically the reasons you're stating. It's the cons era standard, and then the RTR era standard I also think was pretty fantastic. And it felt like you could make very meaningful changes to all your decks. It felt like there were many viable things. It changed on a week-to-week basis. Everything felt meaningful. And maybe that's the most important thing is that there's always a meaningful decision to be made. And as we talked about agency. the present standard, yeah, there's just no agency. It's just play the very strong cards, which are clearly stronger than everything else. That's what makes a failed standard. I don't know that that's necessarily illustrative of what makes a good standard, but we know that that approach doesn't work. And I don't know. I wish there was some common thread I could point to across those two formats, but it really was just a really nice combination of cards. And well, a showcase of ways to win the game, I think. Yeah, so diverse showcase of ways to win, I think, is cool. Both of those are multicolored, which matters because it, it goes to agency, right? It's like if you give us more options, we will be able to figure out something that beats on what was winning last week. And also the cards are powerful and cool and fun without being far and away like the best version of that thing that you can be doing in the format, you know? So it's like Mantis Rider is good, but it's not the best threat. Siege Rhino is very good, but it's not necessarily like the best threat or defensive tool, depending on what's happening. And it's like, these cards are powerful and oppressive to some degree, but there are definitely several times where that is not the best thing that you can be doing. Yeah. And, it's, and they're not you know, good against everything. If you, car- if you carved off the top layer of this format, it does feel like those pieces might be lurking underneath, but yes. like you said, there's just the outliers. And that's why like the eight band suggestion was in good faith. Like if you just get rid of that part, I think there's a lot of good stuff underneath, but the, it will block out the sun. If you have power outliers like that, there's no overcoming that. And I think that's why it's important to be so careful with your power creep. The thing I felt from the standard with them banning cards is that you go to that second layer but clearly a lot of those decks are missing tools. So it, it feels like less fun for me as, you know, if you banned like the top uh, 10 best cards in, in any format, it's like a lot of equity in power level that went into like designing those sets and trying to curate those formats gets lopped off. And then you're, you're just missing like 10% of the chunk of power that should exist in the format, you know? And like, obviously it's not an exact science or whatever, but. Right. I think I would agree in most circumstances, but the fact that all of these sets were so deep, like one of the things I talked about when I wrote that big long article about not enjoying constructed magic was that there aren't bad rares anymore. Like I was going through Ikoria and trying to find the worst rare and it was like, I don't even know the name of the card, the black red labyrinth minotaur thing that like benefits menace creatures was in the running or like cub warden. And those cards are fine. There's nothing wrong with those cards whatsoever. So when your pool of playables is so, so deep and I get like, I think your point is probably more to specific themes like, Oh, blue green mutate is missing like a key piece or something. And I understand that. Yes, sort of, but also you're, so the, the, the sets are deep. But they're deep in a way that is not interesting where it's like, okay, we have 10 reasonable two drops that we can choose from in any two color combination, right? But those aren't meaningfully different than the last one, right? Or certainly like the bottom half of them is not. Right. 
But back to the Collins RTR stuff, it's like you need these cards to do diverse things or fuel diverse strategies. And then it will feel like the format is actually deep. Whereas right now, I feel like it's not. Like you could distill standard down to like a very low amount of meaningful cards or strategies, I think. And then even the things that you can make an argument for, like any any sort of two-color aggro deck, right? It's like, well, these these decks are always going to be inhibited by not having mana. Uh, a high amount of playable one drops or just having bad mana, right? So you just kind of like invalidate all the gruel spellbreaker type stuff that exists. Right. You know, one point I don't really hear mentioned all that often, the loss of block structure. Do you think that plays into this idea at all? Like the fact that we're moving from theme to theme so quickly and you can't fill out a theme a little bit more and find interesting wrinkles and combinations because the theme runs so deep. Like again, speaking to mutate, we're always only going to get one set of mutators at this point. Right. And what is it, what does it cost us to not fill out these themes a little bit more before moving on to the next one? Well, so for, for some decks, it, it matters a lot. Like cycling, I think is one where it's like, you need the vast majority of your deck to be cards that cycle or cards that interact with cycling. And there's not a good way to really flush that out with seeds from previous sets or uh, releases in future sets, you know, because it's like those things aren't going to have to do with your actual mechanic. But mutate is one where it's like, if you just print like a good value creature or a good version of like once upon a time or adventurous impulse or something like something that's solid and like plays into the theme of just like your creatures matter and your creatures do things. I think that that's okay. But for the, the really like hard hitting things like cycling, I I just don't think that there's a way around that without full block structure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get into a position where the decks almost build themselves. Right. And I, I don't think that's a good look either. No, not really. But mutate is one of those that I think even without having actual keyworded stuff could benefit from future releases. And it it might also just be a thing that you need to be cognizant of where instead of printing, you know, 36 mutate creatures, you have two to four cards that use the mutate mechanic that can carry that archetype through future Mm -hmm. set releases. So instead of just like, all right, there, here's the one that draws a card and here's the one that gets you a land. It's like, no, like you try and mutate with like these specific things. And I think like the, the mythics, were maybe a shot at that or whatever, but they just, they didn't really hit because they weren't doing it well enough. Right. That was an interesting discussion. I always like talking about stuff like this. And at the same time, I know that we're just kind of hamsters running along in our wheel and not actually achieving much with these conversations. So I I guess I've said my piece on it. It, It's always interesting to think about them. Sage Shadows asks, hard or soft shell tacos? Uh, Again, not really much of a taco person, but I would go for soft. Hard shell taco guy. I like the contrasting uh, textures in my meals. Yeah, I don't. It, like you, you get the, like the crunch and then like the soft meat yep. or salad or whatever. It. It's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't. It, if there's ever like a like Texas toast cheeseburger or something like that, it's like no, this is just too weird. I want it all to be like kind of soft. You know. What about? Uh, but like you like grilled cheese sandwiches. Why is it when it you add that's, a that's a burger the, into the mix, things get iffy. So the the burger is like a sizable portion of the thing, right? But the the cheese could very easily be like butter or peanut butter or something like that. You know, it's like yeah, you're basically eating two pieces of toast with some amount of 
liquid or softener or whatever. But it's not like toast's giant soft thing toast. I, we just we will never have productive conversations about food. We are so far apart from the yeah. way we engage with them. It's so funny. Yeah, it, I I don't know. I so I am always willing to just concede that food related things like I it's not I'm not wrong because it's a, a matter of opinion and preference. Of course, right? yeah. But I know that I am in the minority as far as what people's preference is. No, it's, it's honestly endearing. It's one of the things I love about you. I know when we're going to get a meal, we have to we have to check to make sure there's going to be something that Jerry will find appropriate on there. And I mean, people which, do it for me all the time too, as a vegetarian. Which so. sucks. I so I, I try and do the same thing for you, and I've definitely blown that several times where I've just forgotten. Right, and it's like let's go to this mono meat place or whatever, and people think that they had to do that for me. And especially when it's like a bigger group situation, it's like, I don't want to make, you know, six people's experience worse because of me. So I, I really try hard to advocate against that because yes, I have my preferences, but I can basically find something that's enjoyable at any place. As long as it's not like Indian or Thai, probably. Yeah. I try and do a similar thing. I, I, there's always French and fries I know you on the menu. I right? know you do. I'm just yeah. like, we're going to like mono meat palace or whatever. And you just don't say anything till we get there. And I'm just like, damn it. I'm an idiot. I, I definitely have had some uh, corn on the cob only barbecued meals, but I like corn on the cob. So yeah. who cares? I, I think yeah. I'm just in the same boat as you were like, oh, make <laughs> it work. It doesn't matter. <laughs> How many times have I brought you to that barbecue place in Renton? Uh, we've it's been a couple like, times. It's like three at least. And I think every time <laughs> I'm just like, God damn it. But it's good. Anyway. I, re- I really don't mind it. It's fine. Yeah, but I mind. Anyway. Marcus asks, what would you want as your last meal? So many I, food questions. Yeah, I know. So I I, I kind of want to know the circumstances surrounding this. Like, <laughs> am, am I about to be put to death? In that case, I, I probably just want to entirely gorge myself, right? And I think bread is the best way to do that, you know? So some, some amount of like pasta and like, Parmesan, garlic bread. So it's just something super filling. And I can just be in that like food coma. Yeah, I like where your head's at. My answer is going to be pizza just because that's my favorite food. And I know this because every single week when I lie to myself and convince myself that I'm going to be starting a diet on Monday, I'm always like, well, if I'm going to be dieting hardcore after this, I should probably get one last pizza before I do it. Oh, so yeah. I, I basically have lived this like a hundred times and uh, it's it's going to be pizza every time. Oh yeah. Cause you actually just view it as your last meal, huh? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if, if I were to die suddenly, you know, like maybe if I'm if I'm in a, a car accident or something, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't have had that pasta. You know, maybe I would have been more <laughs> alert or whatever. So you would have been able to avoid the car accident. Who knows? Maybe I, I would have been paying a little bit more attention, being a little maybe. bit more careful. I wouldn't have fallen asleep at the wheel. I don't know. So it's, it's, that's a weird question. <laughs> German Gary Oak, favorite episodes ever, must listen to episodes. Basically, any of the stuff that is not referencing like a format week to week. And I do think that we should compile those all at some point. Anything that's yeah. like a, a, a theory type of piece. So in the before times, I know we definitely had talk about putting together like a best of theory list and uh, I have not done that yet, but it's a good idea. We should certainly do it. I think that's the pretty easy answer. And I wanted to come up with something better. I don't have it though. I mean, I, I think 
probably my favorite episode to put together was the one about do you block the tutu creature just because yeah. it was fun getting that deep in the weeds. I know like the default answer that a lot of listeners give is like the the greatness episode. Yep. I'm not crazy about that episode in retrospect. I think there's some things we didn't do well in it. So it's never, it's never going to float to the top of my personal list. I think maybe a couple of years ago, I might've answered that, but now I I really like that tutu episode. I think it was a good example of what you can do with a very limited question. And again, that's something we talked about doing more of. We should find a way back to that. Cause I, I think those type of thought experiments are, the rare type of thought experiment that's very useful. Like you can actually put that to immediate use in your magic playing experiences. Yeah. And when, when I was more engaged on the, the business side of things, you know, like trying to do stuff with the website, which I basically haven't done anything with a lot, a lot of that speaks to, you know, like my mental health and like how much energy I have at the moment. But those are definitely things that I want to work on further and, if we had a dead week like this, I would always have a go-to for like five things or whatever, like, you know, theory things that we could do. And right now it's just so far out of my mind. And even Gary's question, like I forgot that I even wanted to do that at some point was like compile all of those things. And now I remember it's just like, I've just not been thinking about it. Look, this, the state of things has complicated all of our plans quite a bit. And I, I speak with people in the discord about this a lot. And it's one of the reasons why, like I emphasize how appreciative I am of all of our patrons sticking with us and continuing to support us because times are tough, man. It's, it's so hard to focus on advancing, you know, our magic brand, our magic teaching when obviously there's just global catastrophe in the background and also like magic hasn't been great. And uh, we don't really mixed words about that. We say it pretty clearly. There's been some problems lately. And when there's problems, it's really hard to do those type of deep dives, those hard engagements. And I think our listeners have been incredibly supportive of us just finding our feet, working through it. And I think they have a lot of belief that when we get to a place where things approach some level of normalcy, so will the Arena Decklist brand and everything we have endeavored to do across all of our time here in the magic space. It'll start getting done again, but there's there's a lot of stuff we have to get straightened out first. And I will continue to remain thankful for everyone who continues to help us get through this really tough time. Yeah, same. Agreed. I mean, I think that we do, or at least like we try to go above and beyond and like for the most part, I think we do do a pretty good job of that, at least when we're at our best. And clearly right now we're not. But like, I don't think that my weekly content has suffered or anything. I think that I'm still putting like 100% into that. It's just like that extracurricular stuff, like getting those right. things together on the website. And so I just can't fathom putting energy into that when like the world's on fire, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah, we. I mean, to peel back the curtain, we had so many things in the work coming up to this pandemic, like just plan after plan after plan and so many exciting things. And then the rug being completely pulled out from under us was not something we ever expected. But here we are. Yep. And I mean, it, it even started before that, too. Like we had some setbacks at the end of last year and the beginning of this year. And then, yeah, the pandemic yep. and everything was just like, OK, how can I even <laughs> just do any of this? Yep. So. For sure. Anyway, 
it'll get better eventually. Kira Randall wants to know if you each had to have dinner with one living person and one dead person as your two guests, who would they be and why? Brian. Oh, thanks for throwing this to me immediately. <laughs> I can answer a... I can answer half of this question. Okay, go ahead, because I'm still thinking about both halves. The the dead person is easy. It it would be my mom for sure. Because That's a great answer. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's also kind of like low-hanging fruit, I suppose, but I don't know. It's like she passed away when I was 18, and at that point I was like I I, I don't remember if she passed like when I was my senior year or the year after. But regardless, I, I distinctly remember like my life was going nowhere, right? It's like we we did not have money. I did not have anything that I was passionate about. I was not planning on going to college, mostly because we did not have money. And my, I, I think like my mental health issues started to become more apparent like towards the later end in high school, just like being more depressed, less engaged. My grades were worse, et cetera. And... I think that I managed to come out of that and she didn't get to see it. And yeah. I would, I would, there's, there's just like a lot of stuff that I would like to talk to her about, about, you know, just like me going through all of that shit and getting past it and everything. And there's also like some stuff that I think about now that it's like, Oh, you know, like I, I would have liked to have this life discussion with her, but I was still a child effectively, like when she passed. So just right. a, a lot of stuff that got missed out on, you know? Yeah, I feel that. I think it's a great answer. I'm sure she'd be really proud to see what you've accomplished for sure. I have my living person now. Hit me. I would love to have dinner with Barack Obama just to know what he is thinking right now. Like, I, There's got to be so many fascinating conversations to have with him. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that I was a devout supporter of his. I think I have made pretty clear my problems with the general approach to politics in this country. And certainly I lean on the Democratic side, but he had a lot of flaws as a president. Still, you have to just wonder what he is contemplating right now and how he views our current situation. And then I'm sure he just has some incredible stories from the life he's lived. And I would love to hear some of those. Yeah, that's that's a good answer too. I'm, I'm basically in agreement with you. It's like I... I'm not going to like stack rank presidents or whatever, but I'm also not going to say that he was like the best of all time. And certainly my political views align closer to his than with Trump's. Right. So, yeah. but a regardless, pretty big home run there. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, obviously super smart dude. Yep. And I, I think that anyone like that would, I'm, I, I wouldn't even want to have dinner with this person. You know, it's like, why, why would you want them to be putting food in their mouth? It's like, no, Stop eating. Just keep talking. Keep saying things. Right. Yeah. I had a, a professor in law school who was on a Harvard Law Review with Barack Obama and just had nothing but good things to say about him. So it sounds like at his at his core, a very positive, good person, I think. Uh, again, policies aside and some failures aside, I just think the conversation would be very engaging. Yeah. Living person for me, I don't know. Like At this point, I'm just like, I don't know. I kind of want to see my partner. Like, <laughs> yeah. that would be great. Sure. But yeah, I don't know. Like, Barack is a good answer. And I'm trying to think of, like, someone similar where it's like, oh, you know, I would, I would want to learn from this person. I'm just, like, kind of coming up blank. But it's just like, I don't know. I just want to hang out with my friends. That That's a fine answer. I'll give you my dead person. I don't even have a specific one. Just some 
musician, some like world changing musician. Maybe it's Jimi Hendrix. Maybe just to like hear him talk about playing guitar, I think would be pretty amazing. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know. I can see Kurt Cobain being a fascinating conversation. Just I, I, for whatever reason, these musicians who passed too soon are the first people who come to mind for a dead person I would like to speak to. Yeah. I, even outside of music too, I think that there are a lot of people who have had a lot of potential and have died way too soon. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Uh, Kelton, what hobbies do you enjoy outside of MTG? Well, presently my mix of hobbies is video games, running, piano, reading, and that's about it. Like, that's a wider net than it sounds and just like naming four things because obviously there's a bunch of different video games and, you know, reading can cover just about any topic on the planet. But if I'm just trying to catalog how I spend my non-magic time, I think those are the four biggest consumers right now. Actually, how about this? What is it about the things that you do that are not magic that draw you to them? I mean, I think this is like sort of obvious when you list them, but I want to hear you say it. Uh, It's a flow state thing. Yeah. They're the things that like stop my brain from racing and I focus on the singular task and lose awareness of myself and get engrossed in what I'm trying to accomplish. And I mean, magic's the same thing. Anything I love like that, it's because I, I lose myself in it. And, you know, it, it changes what has the capacity to engage me in that fashion. For a lot of my life, it was guitar. And then when I found the piano, I was like, oh, shit, I spent 25 years of my life playing the wrong instrument. And that was like a pretty crazy revelation. But it, the state it comes easier on the piano and with far less knowledge where I needed to yeah. play for years and years to get the ability to improvise. And then like kind of hit a pretty hard brick wall in my improvisation. Like I haven't had real growth as a guitarist for the past five to 10 years, I would say. And finding the piano just in this last year has been a real reboot of my ability to get into those States with reliability, I would say. Yeah, my my hobbies are basically the same. Anything that's like challenging and engaging that can do flow statey things and also some amount of like learning or like this is interesting, this is cool. Like I've watched so many documentaries and like animes and had conversations with people where it's basically just like, hey, if there's this thing that you are super passionate about, tell me about it. And that is usually just very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. If it has the capacity to grab someone like that, I think finding out the reasons why is always uh, super, super interesting. Did you see your line April? No, I have not seen that. Uh, it's an anime on Netflix. It's very good. You should watch it. It's about piano, right? Yeah. Okay. I I have seen episodes. I've seen like the first three episodes, which is my answer for every anime ever. Obviously I've seen the first three episodes of all of them. Watch all of them. I was into it. I'm not sure why I got away from it, but I I think I will like it. As far as music ones, uh, Kids on the Slope, which may have been a thing that you recommended to me. I don't remember. No, I told you about Carolyn Tuesday and you told me about Kids on the Slope, I think. Okay. Yeah, Carolyn's Tuesday is solid. Uh, Your Line April and Kids on the Slope are more of like things that will hit you in the feels, but Your Line April also does a a lot of like actual piano specific things. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it, you know, goes goes like the, the extra step towards being interesting for you. Cool. I will put it high up on my priority list. Crockett 07, rollerblades or roller skates? I'm a child of the 90s, so easy rollerblades. I, I am too, I think. And I'm going to say roller skates because I had a, there were very, very few things in my hometown with one traffic light and more cows than people. But there was a roller rink, a very, very mm-hmm. small, very crappy one. And you weren't allowed to use rollerblades there, actually. Or you had to have like very specific rollerblades. They were protective of their floor. Also, okay. interestingly enough, the first place I ever played a magic tournament was in that roller rink. <laughs> they just randomly put an ad. They literally put an ad in the classified section of our local newspaper. And it was like this little tiny ad. And it was just like magic tournament this day. And it was horribly run. And I was undefeated. And the tournament ended with someone else being declared the champion. And I was like, what happened here? But it was it was my first ever magic tournament. And uh, I have to be thankful to the roller rink, the Warnerville roller rink. Thank and you, you still and you rink. still like roller skates after all that? I guess so. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I never, I never had like a rollerblade moment. Although I was just talking to Jason Ford the other day and apparently he started rollerblading and I started thinking, Hmm, do I need to get myself some rollerblades? And is, ultimately this, this is recent. Yeah. This was like just a That's month ago. Gas. Yeah. <laughs> Jason's the, like one of the, the weirdest people love him to death. We talk very, very occasionally, but hanging out is super easy. And like anytime we have like an actual conversation, it's super easy. You know, right. It's just like one of those friendships where it's like, it doesn't matter how much time we spend apart. Yep. Yeah. We Um, could not talk for a year and then we catch up and it's like, we didn't miss a beat. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know. He sent me a text just out of the blue apropos of nothing. And he was like, what what kind of pizza cutter do you use? So I just like told him and he was like, Hmm. Okay. Okay. And then a couple days later, I got a, a package from Amazon. I opened it and it was a pizza cutter. <laughs> now, so, did, did you have, a, like he asked what pizza cutter you used. So that implies that you have a pizza cutter ready and available already. Several. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I say several, but it's actually two of the same one so that I don't have to do dishes as often. But I, I responded to getting this package with a, a text to him that just said, LOL, and it, it was just one of those things where like he didn't, he just forgot that he sent me the package. It was just like this thing that happened days ago. He just forgot that he did it. And he had to like stop and think about what would cause me to send him that text message. And then we just had a discussion about pizza cutters. Okay. Was it a and good he, pizza cutter? Yeah, it's great. It's, it's now my de facto number one, but he was like, okay, you know, like you use your pizza cutter a lot. I got this one. I really like it. Here are the reasons why I like it. You should try it. And uh, actually, before he said that, I was like, actually, I like it for these reasons. He was like, yeah, that's exactly why I got it for you, basically. So, uh, Jason Ford is the reason I keep sprinkles in my house for my ice cream. Like, for whatever reason. Just, just my, in case. Well, no, just like for whatever reason in my life, I I eat ice cream fairly regularly. But it, And when I would go to an ice cream place, I would always get sprinkles on it. But I never put two and two together that I could like – bring sprinkles into my home and then always have sprinkles oh, until yeah. I went and stayed with Jason Ford for GP Atlanta in, I don't even know when uh, I stayed at his apartment with Cho and Ferrando and we went to like a target or something in the area and we picked up some ice cream 
and we got back and made bowls of ice cream and he reaches into his like the top of his pantry or whatever and his apartment was like it was fine but it wasn't super like hooked up and well stocked with everything it was it felt like a little bachelor bachelor pad-esque i would say yeah but it was one of the 10 things that he had (laughs) He pulled out a box. And when I say a box, I don't mean like a cereal box. I mean like a shipping box filled with just 10 pounds of sprinkles that he had on hand. And I was like, I guess this is something you can do. From that point forward, I've kept sprinkles in my house. So Jason is kind of like the the king of life hacks to some degree, where he just like figures out some sort of scheme and then he, he just rolls with it. So I don't know. It's just, he has like this pizza cutter that he really likes. And he's like, he just thinks of me because I eat a lot of tombstones. And he's like, this is going to level up his pizza game, you know? (laughs) And he just does that. And he's just like, you know what? I I have ice cream and I never want to be without sprinkles. And he probably just did a bunch of research, found like the cheapest, best way to get sprinkles. He probably didn't want 10 pounds, but it was like so much cheaper than the, you know, that's just what I imagine happening with this dude. And he'll just do it. Yeah, I I think... I don't know if I'm adding this part to the story, but I think he told me he was inspired by, I I was making an effort to try and find bulk socks so I could have 365 pairs of socks and just wear one every day and then throw it out and never have to wash socks again. And he was really inspired by that. And that might've been what led him to the large box of sprinkles. I might be conflating two stories there, but for some reason I feel like those two cross. It it could be related. Yeah. He's, he also tried to get me on like the, I think it was me undies, but it was like one of those sorts of like, I, or it might've been like me undies first. And then he found a different one okay. and he's just, just like trying to get me like the most comfortable boxer shorts or whatever, because <laughs> he thinks he found like this, this significant life hack. And he's just like, it'll change your life, you know? Right. And ni- neither one of them were great. I don't know, but didn't I, change I, your life. it didn't change my life, but I believe that it, has changed his and that his his mood when he like puts on those shorts every day is just like a plus like through the roof you know right yep it's it's just how you feel after you play really well you know you're like oh i I did this this great thing look at me i'm super smart whatever and he just gets to feel that like every day every morning when he gets dressed yeah uh anyway that was the rollerblades question right somehow yeah (laughs) somehow (laughs) Samp, favorite slash top three limited formats. Feel free to skip if this is a recently answered question. Eh, we've we've answered it before, but whatever. I'm going to go with favorite and not like the top N because top implies good and my favorite formats are not necessarily good. Mm-hmm. But both Mirrodins for sure, basically because I felt like I had a significant edge and then, I don't know. I'll have to think about the third one. I'm just going to name my favorite and leave it at that. It, it's Triple Shadow more, And I think it's about, that's when I really found Paper Magic. It, the first event I ever, well, after a very long hiatus, the first event I recall playing is like Shadow more pre-release. And I just took to it very quickly. I remember it was one of the times on Moto where my limited rating was like up above 2,000. And I won one of, back then there used to be like release tournaments where you'd get a bunch of stuff. And I remember either winning or doing very well in like the Shadowmore release one. Uh, so I, I just like found my footing very quickly. It made me believe I could be a good player. And I also just really enjoyed the flavor and gameplay. I don't know if that would hold up if I played it now, but that's how I felt at the time. 
I played some flashback drafts with Shadow War and it was good. Like it's still fun. It's it's reasonably replayable. Like the the themes are mostly the same and there's not a ton of sideways stuff to do, but the the themes that do exist are just fun. And that's funny because I kind of remember it for sideways stuff. Like I definitely remember winning drafts with like Memory Sluice Mill and there was like uh Power of Fire Pillapala. Yeah. And just some, some weird thing like Presence of Gond was another payoff. So there's multiple payoffs. So well, I remember having success with weirdo archetypes, but maybe that's just they stand out because they were so strange. Yeah. I mean, I, I that those obviously qualify as sideways things, but it's weird to me because they're basically based off of like single cards. You know, right. it's like you, you have to get this thing or your deck doesn't work. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Maybe it is more open than I give it credit for. I think uh, I like the untap symbol a lot too, for what it's worth. And I'm maybe a little surprised it's never come back. I kind of hate it. Yeah. I don't know. It like, to me, it's like, Oh, things, things are tapped. They have been used. Right. And you don't get to untap them until your next turn. But then like trying to figure out weird ways to like tap your things so that you actually get to use them because the untap is like the real payoff is just strange to me. I thought it was cool. I, I, I certainly wouldn't do it all the time, but it is strange that after all this time, there's been no real home for it and yeah. no no mode that it really fit well with. And obviously, there are there are more clever ways to do it and stuff as far as things that exist in the format that allow you to do things like that. Right. You know, like the the or is the power of fire presence of Gond or whatever. It's like okay, that's kind of cute, but yep. Uh, the other one I would say is probably Odyssey kind of similar to your answer just because of like nostalgia really. And I think that if you go back and look at it critically, it doesn't hold up and it's probably just pretty bad. But that was when I first started playing Magic Online and played a lot, got pretty good, was pretty happy about it, uh, played a lot of that format. Uh, I couldn't because I was just getting absolutely murdered. Like it was the first time I really had done any serious drafting was Odyssey Block on Magic Online. And I, I certainly remember my limited rating being sub 1400 while I was trying to learn the game and just getting destroyed by everyone. Good Keep Lord. in mind, like I had been distant from Magic for a few years at that point. And even when I was in it, it wasn't like there was drafting going on. And I just was not getting my footing whatsoever and didn't really get it. So I would do it occasionally, but I just always lost. I was basically forfeiting money. I didn't have much money at the time, so it wasn't something I could afford to be bad at. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I had a reasonable like backbone or like basis to go off of. Uh, I I mostly played Constructed, but I was quite good at Constructed at that point. Yeah, I was doing well in Constructed, I remember for sure. Okay. Yeah, and then trying to play Limited, it's like I thought I knew some things, but like clearly a lot of my preconceived notions were were just kind of like off and a lot of it was because i was trying to transfer things from constructed so mm. had to had to learn the differences and but i borrowed a draft set lost in my first draft and misclicked a bunch too while i did it distinctly remember that just trying to get used to the program and then i brought another draft set from i think the same person like shout out to the the Ziggler twins who i grew up playing magic with basically and then I went infinite off of Magic Online from that. It was just like I won that draft, paid back a set, won the next draft, etc., and was was pretty happy about that. Like basically didn't yeah. have to put any money in. Not bad. Uh, Snook, 
top five favorite bands and top five favorite movies. This is, this, dude, this is 10 questions, man. This is not fair. Yeah, really getting his money worth is snook. Uh, here's how I'm going to answer this question. I'm going to answer with the first ones that come to my mind, and then I'm going to stop. I'm not going to try and really fill out my top five. And when it comes to bands, the first three that come to mind for me are Deaf Heaven, probably have them in the number one spot, Coheed and Cambria, and The Cure. And I'm sure I could fill out my top five, but those are the three that are real standouts and like definitely would be at the top of my chart. Okay. Uh, this is, I, I, there are a lot of bands that I love. So this, this top five is not going to be a good top five. And these might be some bands that are more of like in the top 20, but I actually thought about this for a little bit. I really like early Deftones. Like the first two albums are Mm. very good. And then they significantly changed their style on the third album. I didn't really like the third album. I like all the stuff they did past that, but I basically think of them as a different band, but the first two Deftones albums were very influential. Listened to them a lot when I was a teenager and everything. Same. And then stuff that I'm listening to now, like a lot of Bring Me the Horizon, like they also changed their sound like a few albums back. And I really like basically all of the stuff that they put out for like the last few years, which is kind of weird because I didn't really like them before. And uh, Law Disputes has one of my favorite albums possibly my favorite song and they're kind of going away from what I liked about them. Not as screamy, but still very, very good. And then I don't know, like too close to touch is another one I've been listening to a lot. And I guess I'll, I'll check Spotify for another one. Cause I put, I put a, a band on here that I'm not going to list. Cause I'm looking at whatever. See, that's what I mean when I feel like when you get to the bottom of these lists, you you don't feel passionately about it anymore. Like those three bands I felt very passionately about. And I think I can round out the top five, but I wouldn't feel strongly. There's so much good music that if I listen to it on a regular basis, I'm definitely passionate about it. Yeah, that's probably a good way of looking at it. Like if something is medium, I just won't listen to it. Damn, I think I would have Alan Walker on my top, top five as well. I have no idea who or what that is. Nobody knows who Alan Walker is. And that sounds really stupid because like, he definitely has songs on Spotify with a billion plays. But when I talk to people about him, I feel like everyone's like, I have no idea who that is. He's just like an EDM artist. And I know he's bigger in Europe than uh, okay. he is in America for sure. But still, I feel like more people should know about him than, than do. Uh, there's, there's a band called Varsity with no vowels. I really like them. They're like newish. I like the Deftones choice a lot. I definitely listen to Adrenaline and Around the Fur uh, a lot. And the first song I ever covered with my first band was My Own Summer. So, Dude, that's yeah. gas. Yeah, one of my favorites. A lot of my early Magic Online screen names were Deftones related. Okay. Like, I, How many I Magic have, Online screen names do you think you've had? Uh, 35. Okay, that's a lot. So... <laughs> I, so I, I literally have the screen name Around the Fur, first of all. Okay. Sec, second of all, back in the day, whenever you paid $10 for a Magic Online account, they would give you a coupon for $10 that yeah, you could spend in the store. And I spent that coupon on a new account as an experiment. And that new account gave me another $10 coupon. So you could just get oh, wow. free accounts. Yeah. So I just I just did that for like... 10 or 15 accounts and I could have done it for more, but 
I was just like, I mean, it exists this way. Like, why, why would that ever change? You know, I'll, I'll be able to do this whenever I want. So I just kept like a $10 coupon around in case I wanted to buy a new account. And then mm-hmm. they eventually shut that down. So how many of these accounts do you think just have random cards sitting on them? So there are a few that I lost the password to. Uh, there were a few people who were not really on the up and up. And I definitely like loaned accounts to people who then use them for credit card fraud. So not great. Yeah, not great. Uh, so <laughs> when, when I was like halfway through my stint at wizards, I, I went to Ali Medwin and was like, Hey, this is like, you know, kind of a weird question, but like I have these accounts that I don't remember the password to. And I was pretty sure that like some of them were ones that had the, the, the credit card fraud attached to them. So I was like, Hey, can, can I like get the password for this? Like I, I made this account, you know, it's like my name on the account or whatever. And <laughs> she's just like, uh, the reason we shut down this account is for credit card fraud. And I'm just like, yeah, but it wasn't me, you know? <laughs> and she's just like, uh, okay. And you know, she, she reluctantly did it. So I got, I got the, the passwords back for some of them. And one of them had was the account that I kept like all the good commons and uncommons on. So it was like, okay, cool. You know, I had like 200 of every artifact land and Sakura tribe elder and stuff like that. So for the most part, I did a really good job of keeping a master account because just like going on an account and having like a hundred cards just really messed up my OCD. So I would have to like move everything onto the master account, which I think has like a hundred, 120,000 cards on it, something like that. And then Mm -hmm. I have another account with all of my basic lands. Okay. Because I just didn't want to like be scrolling through my account and see all the basic lands because yeah. they're basically worthless. And so I have an account with like 10,000 basic lands on it. Uh, so yeah, mostly kept it sorted, but there's, there are definitely accounts where I'll like go check and it's like, oh, I was like specking on these cards and I left, you know, like 30 of 10 different rares on this account or something. So occasionally mm. that happens. That's like a little treasure hunt. A little bit. Uh, and then uh, there are also random things that they do where it's like, if you log on to your account, you get an unhinged land or whatever. And then I have to like log on to 20 accounts and like move all those lands over. <laughs> That's a lot of effort that I would not be willing to put forth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's not great, but I don't know. It's it's free stuff, right? It's like, it's not worth the amount of time it takes for me to like find the passwords and log into the accounts and move it over. It's like, I could just buy the lands for like a ticket each, you know? But. Yes, that would that would be my approach. And going against my very well publicized motto of if it's free, it's me. But yeah. And what can you do? the the cool thing about the Deftone screen names is that there were a few people that realized that they were Deftones references. Like once mm-hmm. uh I played against Jim Davis with with my account engine number nine, and he started quoting he started the match by quoting lyrics to the song. That's good. Good awareness. Yeah. And so I was just like, man, this, this Jim Davis dude, he's okay. You know? Yeah. It's like a, a good vibe check to see if they catch your Deftones reference. Right. But I was also trying to stay anonymous. So like I, I never, I've never told him that. I don't think. Now, you know, Jim Davis. And then there was uh speaking to the anonymous part. There was one time where I, I played against Ben Lundquist with a fresh 1600 account. And he said, hello and good luck. And I said, I am new player. Please go easy. <laughs> how'd that go oh, i smashed him it was great nice but it just yeah. makes me wonder you know like stuff like that happens right and they, they just never know it was me and it's awesome 
It's a lot of power. Being anonymous is cool, man. That's why so many people on the internet have like anime avatars and stuff. Yeah, I I see a lot of value in anonymity. Uh, sometimes I wish could reclaim some of it in the magic sphere for sure. Same uh, is what it is. I, I guess I should note that like I don't want to remain anonymous on Magic Online for the same reasons that the anime avatar people do on Twitter or whatever. But, That's true. Very different. Know, I, I just want to make sure that I point that out. But yeah, uh, as, as far as like top five favorite movies, I can't really answer that question because movies are mostly fine to me. And I don't think that I could say that something is like S tier or A plus or anything. Yeah, I'll just do the same thing. The three that immediately popped to mind were Children of Men, Star Wars, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I don't I don't even know if those are my top three favorite movies, but when I saw this question, that's what I thought of. So that's what I'm going to go with here. Also, I like Snook. I should talk to Snook more. I also like Snook. Belongs in the same category as Jason Ford, as someone who I catch up occasionally with and always have a good time talking to. Yeah, I never never got to that point with my my friendship with snook it's like we we would like chat at events you know but it's like jason and i have had like some serious life discussions and have hung out a lot and i don't know like the period where i was like living with t-bulge in minneapolis jason was going to the u of m and so like Mm -hmm. i would i would pick him up and we would just like drive around doing god knows what and we actually spent a lot of time together at that point so that was good so snook you are obligated to hang out with jerry next time you see him we we generally Three do hang out though. That. That's the thing is because I I like a lot of the people that he likes, and he normally goes to tournaments with uh, Costa and Dave Shields. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, obviously I want to get dinner with those people, and so like we'll go and get dinner. But I don't know. It would be nice to get dinners again, wouldn't it? It, it would be good. I, my diet could probably use some interactions some with humans. Yeah, all sounds anyway. nice. Episcopus? Am I saying that right? Episcopus. I like it. Yeah. What are your guys' favorite card? One for each color, and can you and you can include lands, colorless, multi, etc. Oh, that's that's a lot. This is this is another greedy question following a previously greedy question. So I'm only going to give one card, one card response. Millstone done. That's okay. it. Okay. Uh, favorite card. I can I can name some cards. Nether Spirit, uh, Guy's Blessing, Golden Urn, uh, Repeal. Would I have a favorite red card? I don't know. Maybe like Faithless Looting. But in in fair ways, not in not in busted ways. And then what's the other color? White. I don't, I don't really like the color white. Nobody has a favorite white card. Don't feel bad. It's just all, yeah, all the white cards suck. What are you uh, say? Isamaru. What? Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not going to say that. Uh, land Mikokoro, center of the sea. I always get these. Kamigawa lands confused. That is something to do with a legend, right? That's Obaro is the one that you bounce to your hand. So, so Obaro is Palace of Bouncy Bouncy. Okay. Minamo is School of Untappy Untappy. Okay. Mirin is the Diamond Valley. Mikokoro is two tap, both players draw a card. That's the Howling one. I don't I don't even know that I have spent any time with that card, honestly. Oh, uh, card is gas. Absolute gas. Play it with some uh, Narset. There you go. Broke the format. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Neil Reeves and I put it in a bunch of decks when I was living in Indianapolis. Basically, like we we would just like break Moto for 
a week or two and then like take some time off and then like re-break it and just like a lot of our decks had Miko Koro in them for some reason like it just ended up being a very good card in a lot of the decks that we were playing there you go that's the secret to breaking formats yep is it Fox wants to know what's your favorite moment or play you've made from a tournament or event you've taken part in you could probably answer this for me no I no? can't I don't I don't think so uh I feel like you could answer it for me though are we overestimating how, how much we know about each other favorite moment or play i mean i think i think that your pt origins has to be where this comes from but i don't know what it specifically would be okay so i mean i would assume it's your well nope so I, yeah if I you're gonna say, say it's me your, winning a tournament absolutely not i want to say it's your pro tour win but then nope. i also know that's definitely not it okay resounding thunder I like half remember this and it's not, it's not coming to me. Okay. Uh, what is yours? I'll explain mine. Mine is from PT origins. I think I've told the story on the podcast before it's against uh, Kentaro Yamamoto in the last round of day two's origins draft where his deck is just infinitely better than mine. He's a 10 times better magic player than I was. And I played the game in a very, he's like, specific... he's like, he's like three times better than you. Come on. Okay. Three, three times is fine. Uh, I play the game in a very specific fashion to an unexpected fashion that shocks uh, Ian Duke and Marshall who are commentating the match. They don't, they don't quite get it right away, but uh, it's a game that I have planned out like five or six turns in advance and it goes exactly the way I want it to and makes me look really good when really things just kind of broke my way. I mean, it was a good plan, but I needed things to go right. Yeah. And uh, I got paid on it and it, it just looked really good when it all came together. I think it's round... What would be the last round of draft? 11? 11. Yeah, you, you can find it. It's on the internet. Round 11, PT Origins. Okay. Uh, that'll be my homework for this week is to go okay. watch that. Because, I yeah, you've talked about it before, and I knew it was from that tournament. I just couldn't remember what. My, so there, there are very, very small occasions where you get to do things in Magic that are outside of just playing the cards in the way that gives you the most equity from casting them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I, I had three mana. I played my three, three, like they had a sweeper. So I like didn't overcommit to it or whatever. It's like most of that stuff is pretty, pretty straightforward. And then there are occasionally things that you can do that trick your opponent. And this, like, I, I say trick your opponent, but it's really underselling it. Okay. So I'm playing against John Sonny, who none of you have ever heard of, but is a very, very good Magic player. And he's also responsible for this match and uh, a match that where he made like a very heads up play against me. So it's like, I don't just my matches against him have been very, very good. So this is uh, shards sealed. And we're both Naya, which is pretty normal, except my deck's very bad. And if I had an off-color cycler, I would have been playing it in my deck. That's how bad my deck was. And I have to I have to think about this a little bit. So I played so I played a, a two-mana elf. He played a two-mana elf. Nope, scratch that. Bad storyteller, bad narrator. I didn't play a two-drop. He played a two-mana elf. It's a two-mana one-one that taps for one of a Naya. I played a Court Archers, which is a 1-3 Reach Exalted. Not a great card. That's how bad my deck was. He plays land number three, so he has four mana, and he plays a Crocodile that is a four mana 1-1 Shroud, 
where whenever a creature dies, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Card is absolutely busted. Very few things in the format kill it, and there's enough trading going on. Eventually, it just gets to be big, and no one can do anything, right? Yeah, card was very good. Okay, I, I messed up the narration again. Sorry. The turn I played Court Archers, reverse the turn order, right? So he plays the Croc, I play Court Archers. Then he plays Rake Claw Gargantuan, which is a 5-mana five 5-3, five, and you can pay 1 to give a creature with 5 power first strike. Very good card. So I play land four, I think for a little bit, and I attack with my one three that exalted becomes a two four, right? So he's got five three, one one croc, one one mana elf. And this is me representing a pump spell, right? And he thinks about it for a little bit. He looks at me, he says, I don't think you have it, which means that he should block, but then he also just says that there's a possible there's a non-zero chance that I do have it, and he thinks he's winning anyway. So he's just going to take it. So he takes he takes the two damage. And post-combat, I play a three-mana Lightning Bolt on his 5-3. So now, it looks like I do have the pump spell, right? Because if I didn't have a pump spell, I would just kill his 5-3 before I attacked. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if I attack and he blocks, I'd much rather trade pump spell for his 5-3 than my Lightning Bolt, which is, you know, Lightning Bolt is generally better than Giant Griff. So anyway, this game goes on for... 10, 12 turns, something like that. It goes on for a long time, and his crocodile gets very big, but it cannot attack or block whenever I have two two open mana because it makes sense that I still have this pump spell. So I end up saving well over 20 life over the the course of the game because the the crocodile like quickly outpaced how big my biggest threat was, could have been attacking me this whole time, could have stopped me from attacking him, you know, Uh, but I did not have a giant growth and I needed to figure out a way to make him think that I had a giant growth so that he could not attack or block with his crocodile because otherwise I would just lose. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful play. It's one of the reasons I love magic, the things you can do along those lines. And I think it's one of the things I miss the most about high level magic because you, you can't do that against random opponent on arena. It just doesn't mean anything. And it, it takes a really in tune player to be able to make moves like that. And I miss that right now. I miss just being matched against someone who's completely engaged with the game and knows what every single little thing means. Yeah. And I mean, that was the thing like John, John would have, would have been, you know, a a platinum pro had he stayed around and played more and whatever. Yeah. I've always heard that about him. Yeah. I mean, he, he was easily one of the best North American players, but like no one really talked about him because he was, he was so quiet. He didn't do any self-promoting, didn't make content. You know, like there are a decent amount of people who were like that. Mm-hmm. And he was the exact type of person that I could do that against because he was able to intuit from what I did that I had some sort of pump spell, right? And if it were just like a random human, they probably wouldn't pick up on that. And also the play from my end, it's not like, oh, I bluff attacked a 2-2 into a 3-3 or whatever. Like if, if he calls me, I don't just bin my two, four. I like after blocks, I can still lightning bolt his thing and still be fine. You know, Mm -hmm. like at that point it's, it, my, my hand is revealed, right? Like clearly I don't have a pump spell at that point. I'm I'm still probably going to lose anyway, but I got to play in such a way where I just made him think that I had it because if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have done that. And it was also like very low cost to me, you know, like I missed two points of damage. 
it's just a complete maximization of all of your options and opportunities. And I, I think it actually tracks pretty well with the game I'm talking about, where you just take an unorthodox, unorthodox approach that gives you the best chance to win, even though it's like an abstract, fairly poor play. Like, it, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a poor play. There's only a winning play. Yeah. And also, I can't, I can't think for too long, right? Right. You know, like, I, I had to do this within, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. Uh, probably less, honestly. And it's not like this is a thing that's come up for me before. It was just in the moment with all the information I had, I was like, this is what's going to happen if I do this. Yeah, Magic still has the capacity to make incredible moments like that. And I think that's why it's the best game ever made. I mean, those sorts of things have happened like three times in my career, you know? But I'm sure there were opportunities to do stuff like that that I, I didn't see, you know? I guess like another one is like when I, I thought seized uh, dudes punishing fire in top four of the mocks. That was like another good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go go look up that. It's like Magic Online Championship Series in 2015, I think. But it all it also got ruined because, but like while I'm thinking about whether or not I should do it, Luis is just like, oh yeah, he's going to do this. It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> just like damn it. <laughs> One of the problems with having one of the best of all time doing the coverage of your match, right? He makes it, it seem obvious. Well, best of all time and also like king outside of the box thinker, you know? Yeah. Next one, Nick Prince. You can play one deck that has ever been played in standard at a pro tour. Everyone else has the same rules. What do you bring and why? I don't, like this is a question I would have to do research on. If I wanted to say like enjoyability, you know, this is altering the question significantly. It's like, you know, standard decks that I played at pro tours. Probably the Flash deck, because that deck was just super fun. But as far as something that was like completely busted, I don't know. There's got you know, there's got to be like some affinity deck or whatever, right? Yeah. Well, Nick says you get to say why you're bringing that deck. So I am going to bring green white tokens, and it's because I love you, Nick. That's it. Oh, That's the only reason. Okay. Why. Yeah, I I assumed that the underlying reason was you know, that you wanted to win or whatever. But yeah, the, the flash deck was fun. I don't know. Restoration Angel, Augur Bullis is tight. I love that deck. Chris Moss, what do you think about the extent of people's responsibility to be out supporting the movement in the streets? Brian? I think we all have our own lane to occupy. I think that there is a responsibility to support the movement. I don't think that you have to dictate how to do so. Now, this is just my opinion. Someone wants to call me out on that. I'll, I'll respect that. And if you have a good reason why I'm wrong, I'm willing to listen. I just think we all bring different skill sets to the moment and maximizing that skill set is, it's just in everyone's best interest. Now, I, I'm saying these words and I'm concerned that I use this as a way to cop out of being in the streets. I will put that concern just on the table. But I, I don't think that's it. I just think everyone has a role to play in this moment. Everyone has a role to play in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement. And it, it doesn't have to be just this one way. So I think that if I had friends who live near me who were protesting or even people I knew that I would go. Uh, I have, I've not been to a protest. I'm going to be honest about that. 
And I felt really bad about that for a, a long time, you know, like a, a week or two into it. And then I started seeing posts like that pop up where it's just like, you know, not everyone has to be protesting. Like you can be doing things like amplifying voices, amplifying just the fact that the movement exists. And like, this is why donating money, like doing all of these various things. And I had been doing those things and like right. doing doing those things for me is like easy and comfortable. And, you know, I've talked about this a few times already where it's just like my, my mental state is definitely not a hundred percent. I have a lot of social anxiety and, you know, stuff like that. And I think it would be easier for me to, you know, go out and actually protest if I basically like had a buddy to do it with instead of effectively being alone. Yeah. I, I think it's straight up, Oh, well, it's always dangerous to protest given the way protesters are being treated, but it's yeah, but especially I, dangerous to do it alone. So it is it is dangerous to do it, obviously. That is not a thing that concerns me. Like I I've put myself in danger at risk, not, you know, doing a bunch of things that are not as smart or altruistic. Sure. You know, well, that's a good way and of looking at it. It's like that's that's not really like a, a good excuse or whatever, but it's like that is not a thing that dissuades me. And I, I've thought about this. It's just like, you know, why am I not going? And it's like, well, why do I go to the grocery store for 30 minutes and I come home just like an anxious, like tired wreck? And it's like because leaving the house is hard. Yeah, that's true. I I don't know. I, I with many of these things, I certainly don't expect to have the right answer. Uh, I can only tell you how I feel. Like I said, I, I want to ascribe to the lane theory and I am recognizing the fact that maybe maybe I'm doing it out of convenience. Maybe I'm not uh, stepping up as much as I should be. And I, I would accept that condemnation and I would work to do more. And I, I think like you said, if my support system was different, maybe... But I don't know. I can only live the life I'm living. And uh, I, I've chose to try and support the movement in other ways. I will always ask myself if I'm doing enough. That's never going to go away. If yeah. I was in the streets doing the same things, I would continually be asking myself if I was doing enough. Yeah, the, so. the problem for me is that if if I look at it like, okay, I've, I have 40,000 Twitter followers. And if I am retweeting examples of police violence and just all the ridiculous things that are happening to black people in this country and also, you know, retweeting black thought leaders and stuff like that. Like, is that more helpful than one more body protesting? Likely. However, I could do both. Could do both. Right. Right. It's, it's never, I mean, I'm sure it is for some people. It's like you, you have some amount of limiting factor, whether it's like time or money or what have you, you know? And it's like, I currently have the time to do all of those things. Like I could give money. I could try to platform people. I could also be out in the streets. And the thing that I'm not doing is being out in the streets and I could be doing that. And like, like you said, I mean, even if I was doing that, would I be thinking that I could be doing more and would I feel guilty about that and bad about that? Absolutely. And this is on the heels of seeing all those posts from you know, people whose opinions I respect and being able to look at that logically and be like, you know, that, that makes sense, but it doesn't stop me from still feeling guilty for not doing enough. Right. Right there with you. But you know, then, then there's also a lot of people that are like, 
you know, what about this issue? What about this issue? Why aren't you doing this? And it's like, that's, that's when it starts to get to the point where it's like, well, I can't do everything. I cannot yeah. attempt to fight every single issue because I don't have the, the bandwidth or the monetary resources or whatever. So like at some point you have to draw a line, you know, it's tough, man. It, it really is. And it, it's harder for the people who are living it. I, I don't want to sound like we're bearing the burden here. No, 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 no. You want to do all you can. And you also have to stay alive and stay mentally healthy and balancing all that. It's going to be a struggle through all this. But like I said, I, I am here for it. I am committed to helping how I feel I can. And that that's not going to change. So, so I, I had, I think, what a lot of people would consider as a shitty childhood. But I also realized that I have immense, immense privilege, especially where I ended up, you know? Like I, I do have this enormous platform that is comprised mostly of young people. And it's like, these are a lot of people who have the possibility of affecting change. And yeah, like how, how much is my Twitter account worth? Do you think, you know, it's, it's probably a lot of money, right? Because it does have the possibility to actually affect change. And I try and use it for the best result possible. Right. And the, the reason I feel shitty about all of this is that I want to do the most good and I don't know how. And I, I honestly right. don't even think that there's like a how-to guide for how to do the most good or anything. But no matter what, I'm always going to be wondering and basically coming to the conclusion that I'm not doing enough regardless of what the outcome actually is. But yep. yeah, I mean, my my life is is good and I feel bad for not being able to help because I am one of the few people who actually has the possibility of, of helping, you know, it's like, that is a big responsibility. I don't want to fuck it up. Yeah. I, I just agree with everything you you're saying. I've had all these thoughts echoing through my head. Just don't have good answers here. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, me either. I mean, I probably would not take very kindly to people telling me what I should be doing. However, if you want to give me some some criticism, some advice, I am very open to that. Same. Uh, like, please, people, you know, like, tell me how to help you or help me help you because I, I don't know if what I'm doing is correct. Shit, man. <laughs> Tough to talk about magic after thinking spending a few moments thinking about the bigger things. Right. And that's the thing I keep circling back to is like, man, I got to talk about magic today when I'm, I'm thinking about this, like this is what matters, but we do our jobs. We keep carrying on, uh, hopefully give people a little peace. I guess we didn't really answer the question. Like, what do you think about the extent of people's responsibility to be out supporting the movement? I would advise people to do as much net good as possible. However, again, privileged privileged position. Like I don't have a lot of dependence, you know, like I, I don't have children. I'm mostly focused on just providing for myself and everything. I have a job that provides me a, a decent amount of time and I'm able to pay my bills and everything. So like I, I have time and money to spare. And as a result, I feel like my responsibility is, is pretty huge. I would not try to put that onto everyone else and I, I think that what people are saying about just, you know, like pick, pick a lane, do the, do the thing that you can do and as much as you can do it. And I also believe that 
people are telling the truth when they say that you really can't help people until you help yourself. Like you need to be taken care of in, in a good mental state before you can provide actually good care for other people. And that's, that's another thing where it's like, I believe this to be true, but I don't necessarily do it myself. But yeah. I, I think those are the two things. It's like, make sure that you're okay and then devote as much as you can or are comfortable to. But I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to say that it's someone else's responsibility to do those things. Like I, I feel like it is, but other people aren't necessarily going to feel that. Yeah. And then it's also like, I would bring up the point. Does our opinion on this matter? I'm I'm not sure. I, I really am not. I don't know if like me telling you what level of responsibility you should have is even something you should consider because who cares what I have to think about this issue? <laughs> like yeah. it, it just we're, we're not, we're not living it, man. Like no matter how much right. we try and understand, we're not going to understand. Right. Yeah. Complicated issue for sure. Yeah. Uh, Firemind 12. Brian, what advice do you have for someone who wants to start running as their primary form of exercise? Don't. And I'm, I'm actually serious. What should they do it, instead? It's something low impact because I, as much as I, I love running, it's to the point I can't live without it. I am hurting my body. Like, it's becoming very clear. I've had an ongoing issue with my Achilles for a while now. I have certainly had knee troubles throughout my life. And my doctor 10 years ago told me to never run again. And I obviously have not listened to that. And I assume that problems will only get worse. It's it's just not like a great form of exercise, but I love it. So if you haven't started, maybe take up something else, become like a devout swimmer, or even a cyclist is probably better off than a runner. Just the impact gets to be a lot on you. If you're with me and you love it, I am thrilled to share this awesome thing with you, but I I don't know that I could really tell anyone that like this is the thing you're supposed to be doing. So what I'm hearing from this is your advice is try and figure out a way to make it as low impact as possible. Like take care of yourself while you're doing it. I think so. Yeah. And you can't, you can't really do that with running. That's the problem. I, I just think you have to look towards a different exercise because running is always going to be jarring to your body. What if you only run on clouds? Or you might be safe then. I mean, <laughs> you're making a good point. Like you can go run on rubberized asphalt. Like those tracks do exist. I just get very bored running around in a small circle for, you know, an extended period of time. So that doesn't work for me. But if you're insistent upon it, that is good advice. Find ways to minimize the impact. Make sure you have good shoes. High quality shoes matter a lot, but I don't recommend it. And then question for me, if I were a Pokemon gym leader, what would be my team's theme or type? And what six Pokemon would you be packing? Monotype's just bad, man. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like those, those folks just want to lose, right? You're just like, all right, I'm, I'm monograss. You show up with a fire type. I just lose. Game over. I I don't want to do that. You know? So I guess, I guess I'm, Maybe maybe not Elite Four because they also had their themes, right? But it's like the, the champion was the only one that had like a diverse suite of things. But it's also fairly presumptuous that I would be the champion. You know, a lot of a lot of trainers out there with a lot of heart. It's true. I'm sure you do want to be the very best though, right? Oh, no, I, I would be the champion for sure. Okay. That's what I thought. I already <laughs> spent enough time 
doing Pokemon related things when there there is no reward for it. So Right, there are no actual Pokemon and you've proven yourself to be very devoted to this task despite the fact that they don't exist in reality. So if if there was a possibility you could be a legitimate Pokemon gym leader, I am very sure you would have done the work. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like if if those things were real though, how would I not just have like a Poke Ranch or whatever? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be out there pitting them against other oh, Pokemon to we, the death. We can't know? get into the ethics of Pokemon bot battles. It's, like obviously yeah. there's something very flawed going on with this entire universe. Yeah. So I would probably just not be doing that. I would, I would just have a farm. I would have a, a Poke Haven or something. Yeah. Know? I would be right there with you. Tight. You're invited. Uh, Blackout 28. If you could design any one magic card, what would it be? I don't know. It's it's format. Black Lotus, most iconic card ever. Boom, nailed it. No, you. It's already been designed. You can't. Yeah, des- didn't you can't, say a new one. You you can't design something that's already been designed, man. There's a patent. I could go back in time, more time travel. That's that's what you're doing with your Riddler time traveling. Yep. Just gonna take advantage and get to make this iconic magic card. All right, Elk. Elk has a long question. Thought experiment. A quote-unquote conspiracy card is printed that lets you choose two colors at the start of the game. Every Do you land... know what that means before we get into this question? Because I actually don't know what that means. Uh, that's that's like the, the drafting cards. So what do they do? It, it's like a, a Vanguard type of thing. Like Okay, so you start with it in play. Kind of. Uh, so they, they do different things, but it's like... you. So conspiracy was the draft set, right? So you would draft conspiracies and then... One of them would be like at the end of the draft, you write down the name of a card. And then whenever you go to cast this card, flip this thing up and like the card costs one less or whatever. And like that thing just persists. But you could have them be like ley lines where it's like beginning of the game. You have to reveal this. It does what it says on the card. Okay. Uh, so a conspiracy card is printed that lets you choose two colors at the start of the game. Every land you control enters untapped and taps for those two colors, but you lose all effects of lands and you can't generate mana of any other color. So no utility lands, no splashing with birds, etc. Is this conspiracy viable in standard pioneer, modern legacy vintage? Is it a must include? And thought experiment brought to you by a combination of LOR and trying to find a PowerPoint for explicitly two color decks without making three to five color decks for a ramp. I mean, it depends, like, it all depends on what you are trying to do with a specific two-color combination. So, like, in Standard, currently, there are a lot of decks that would be very, very happy to have this because those decks are like, all right, I play Temple, Shockland, Basics, maybe some Fable Passages, maybe you play, like, one of a castle or whatever, but, like, say you're in a format where the utility lands are just busted or, like, monocolor is good or you can splash a second color without uh, having to pay a huge cost. I mean, it's, it's all context-dependent. And the the thing that I will say about this is that if this were a thing that you could do, it would not be very fun because you lose out on a lot of choice with how you build your mana base, what cards you choose to put in your deck, et cetera, et cetera. And I just would not like this. Like imagine if all of Magic's lands like tap for five colors of mana, didn't have drawback, whatever. It's, it just makes the game so much less interesting. Yeah, I think it's just viable in every format, but it's completely context dependent. And like, is there a deck that benefits from that? And then it's like discussing this without considering opportunity costs. Like, I I guess I don't give anything up. Like, are there other conspiracies that I can choose from? Yeah, right. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that this actually gets you anywhere. I think the, just the conclusion you're looking for is like, 
there has to be a reason to play two color decks and it has to be like good dual lands and it probably takes some creative design but i I don't know that this actually points in any direction that tells you what that design should look like yeah should should like conspiracy type things exist i mean like i I think it's kind of cool if it's like you know they they greenlit companion right and that's this thing that gives you a little bit of advantage but uh, kind of like nerfs your deck building choices and this sounds like it would kind of do the same thing but just like not as much and doesn't give you an extra card but it's like it's it's cool it is definitely a thing that you could do i just don't see a reason why you know this thing would exist that just like yeah don't worry about your mana base you know like don't don't even think about it i think it's just bad for these type of options to exist i i don't think there's actually much joy to be derived from deck building restrictions given how most people choose to engage with the game now i think you and i before it was clear that companions were completely busted probably had a lot of fun building around those companions like it was a cool challenge for us we were into it we put out a lot of decks especially in older formats it was very fun to yeah around. i i agree i don't think the majority of the player base felt that way and nope. i i don't think you should load play experiences into deck like it it just shouldn't factor into the existence of the card like saying oh this will make for a good deck building experience i don't think that pans out to the average magic player i think you're dealing with such a small percentage of the player base who is ever going to get appreciation from that that you need the card or the idea to stand on its own and very clearly companions failed that like in a dramatic fashion and i i think things like this would actually fail that same test likely yeah i so deck building and like tweaking and tuning is just a very spiky thing to be doing. And I think that spikes Mm -hmm. are in the minority as far as the player race is concerned. Yep. So should these things exist to some degree, can you make them fun for the other psychographics? Probably, you know, like there's probably some space to do that, but yeah, I agree. Anything that is deck building restricted is maybe just a, a no go. I think so. I would. I, I just think this, the failure was so spectacular with Companion that I would at least be. I would be so careful before I went down that road again. Yeah. Everest, what is the smallest tweak you've made to your day to day that has greatly improved your quality of life? Uh, being a vegetarian, and maybe that's bigger than the type of tweak you're looking for. That's but, a big tweak. Yeah, but when I just think of like the changes, the lifestyle changes I've made over the past however many years, like that is the one that has had the greatest impact on my mental state and how I feel. And it is with me every single day. So there's not many other changes I've made that impact me on a day-to-day basis, I don't think. Uh, So that one just really stands out to me. Uh, There's got to be a good answer for this for me. I don't know. I think Jason Ford would say, you know, like me undies or whatever the other company it is that he buys for box of sprinkles. Yeah. (laughs) Giant box of sprinkles. I feel like I've tried a lot of these things and it hasn't really taken. And I think a lot of that is that I am pretty much like set in my routine or doing things that I'm comfortable with. So for example, I, I grew up on comic books. Like I, I read a lot of comic books. I enjoyed it. And then mostly just got out of it at some point. Uh, a lot of this coincided with starting to play magic and stuff like that. Uh, and 
I'm talking to a friend of mine, Vishu, uh, basically every week at this point. This started during quarantine. Like he just contacted me. We just started video chatting and it's it's been awesome. And he just sent me a bunch of like digital comic book stuff. Like we talked about like the old comics, the stuff that we read. And he gave me kind of like the rundown on newer stuff. And I was like, that sounds interesting. I'd like to read it. So he sent it to me and I just haven't because it's different than how I normally interact with the world. You know, it's like, I never think about like, oh, I want to like read this book or comic on my phone, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to get into these things. So I don't know. I, I feel like if I were less rigid or more able to actually get out of my comfort zone or whatever, or try and find a new comfort zone that there are a lot of things that could probably enhance my day to day. Yeah. I, there's gotta be again, a balance between like treating your life as a grounds for experimentation and just like finding comfort in routine. You, you don't want to really abandon either of those two things. So it's probably a timing thing. Like, I don't, I don't know that this is the moment where you're like, Oh, I really want to change my life. Like granted it would be nice. You think given the circumstances, it would be cool if you could just like turn your life on its ear and install all these new habits that were really beneficial and positive, but you got to balance that ever growing toll of isolation and all the other nonsense we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Even, even still, there's gotta be like a thing that I got and I use a bunch and I just, I'm, I'm blanking on it, you know, pizza cutter. I mean, yeah, but it's so that hasn't made a great improvement. It's a, it's a good improvement. You know, it's like a, a more good, comfortable pizza cutting experience. And I will think of my friend Jason now whenever I cut my pizza, at least when I use that pizza cutter. But I don't know. As far as great improvement, I don't think it really hits that. Croot, hmm. do you think magic would be better if OP was managed by an entity outside of Watsi's control? That is to say, do you think... The competitive game would be more fun if a third-party group created formats, maintained ban lists, scheduled and ran major tournaments, etc. Naturally, they would need to cooperate with Watsi on some level to install formats into online clients and avoid major scheduling conflicts. I agree that they would need to cooperate with Wizards, and I think that it would just make more sense because they would need to cooperate with Wizards that they are just an entity of Wizards. I just don't want Wizards doing it. I'm not sure why you benefit from taking this away from wizards. Like I would need a <laughs> because they're bad, reason. At it. but they should hire new people, not outsource right. it. Right. They've d- they've done a bad job, but that doesn't mean that giving it to a third party entity. Like, why do we think that third party is in a better position to understand the changes they have to make? Especially given like wizards is in some cases aided by upcoming knowledge that a third party entity wouldn't have. Like, yep. I think in the announcement for the ban of fires of invention, they mentioned future support for the card. And I, maybe it was with regards to Asian of treachery and they were talking about the red polymorph. I'm, I'm really not sure, but still they have that foresight to know what's coming to make things stronger. If there's answers in a future set. So I, I just don't see a reason why a third party would be more prepared to do this job than wizards would be. Uh, if you can come up with one to sell me on it, then maybe I would think about it. But just because a great job hasn't been done with it doesn't mean you necessarily want to take it away from the group that's best prepared to do it. They just have to do a better job. And maybe it involves you know, an element of the staff that's focused solely on this one thing. I think there's a lot of split responsibilities from what we see 
uh, as the public coming from Wizards. And, you know, maybe some more focus on this one issue would help a lot. Yep. Uh, I I think this boils down to is Wizards doing a poor job slash could they be doing a better job? The answer is basically yes. Yes. And the response to that from Crute is, well, maybe they should just have someone else do it. And I agree that they should have someone else do it, but it still makes sense for them to work for Wizards. Yeah, different human, same organization. Austin Cook, how are you staying sane and or positive when it seems the world is in such a bad place? I'm not. Next question. (laughs) Let's go. Good question, Austin. Maybe maybe instead of, uh, we do a reverse AMA where the people just answer our questions. Yeah. Austin, you are now required to answer this question for us because I don't have the answers to this one. Yo man five. When do we get more cat picks, dude? I have hella. I have so many. I, so I, I made an Instagram account and I was like, I'm going to post daily. No, it's not what I normally do. So I just forget that it exists and I forget to do it. It's not part of the routine. Uh, so I have hundreds of cat picks in my phone that, so initially I was just going to like make a, a Google something like a folder and just like share that with people. And if they want to look at it, cool. But then I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to do that. I should just make an Instagram account. And then I just don't use the Instagram account. So I don't know. I need to figure out how to get these pictures from uh, the phone to the world. Accessibility and ease of use matters a lot. Find a system that works for you. Make people who want to see the cat pics jump through the hoops. And then though there will be more cat pics in the world. That's my advice. Yeah. Tyler O'Brien, uh, for Brian, what is your way to find good vegetarian-friendly restaurants? I'm vegan and always struggle to find good food when traveling for magic events. Unfortunately, Tyler, I have the hacks. I get to just go on Twitter and be like, yo, I'm in the city. What's <laughs> up? And that makes it really easy. When I was in London, I had like three or four people who were just recommendation after recommendation. And I ate at all of them, and they were all great. And I'm always appreciative of folks who take the time to inform me. But I got the cheat codes here. So I guess use Yelp is the only thing I could really give you, Tyler. Okay. So Tyler needs to tag like me, Brian, Nick Prince, whenever he's going to a new place. And then we can retweet him and do the hacks for him. There you go. I don't know. Like sometimes the the tournaments have the like local things, like where you should eat or whatever. But there's almost never like a vegetarian or vegan option on that. Right. Cause like the, the no. person, the person who's writing them is normally carnivore. Yeah. I, I mean, it usually, I, I will be honest. It very rarely do you have to just find a vegetarian or a vegan rest. Well, with vegans, it may be different. I'm not going to speak for vegans as far. It's definitely different for vegans for vegetarians. There's a lot I can eat at most good restaurants and like more restaurants are accommodating vegetarians as time goes on. Vegans, though, I, I think it is actually a very different struggle, and you need specifically vegan restaurants to be able to find somewhere good. And if you're going to like smaller cities, you just might be out of luck, quite frankly. Jay wants to know what music have you, have you been listening to lately to help you through the pandemic? I have gotten like a, a little bit softer and wider in my music taste, and now I'm looking for <laughs> more heavier stuff again. Uh, I'm not, I'm not really finding it or at least like not finding stuff I liked as much as when I was a kid. So yeah, basically, basically some, some screamo, you know? Okay. Always a solid choice. Uh, I have been listening to a lot of Alan Walker, just something about the way he writes music. Like, I don't even think 
he's a particularly gifted or like special artist. He just writes like super catchy pop songs that I really, really like. And well, he's, he's definitely not good at coming up with a unique or memorable stage name. Right. I'm, I am telling you like based on metrics, this dude kills it somewhere. And I understand every time I talk about him, I feel like I am met with a blank stare, but he's way more popular than my experience would suggest. Maybe he's super popular with like younger people. And I'm having my fellow kids moment right now where like all the young people listening are like, yeah, I know who that is, idiot. Yeah, the top five. older people who don't know. The top five songs on Spotify, I'm looking now. All bangers. Every single one of them. Just multiple, multiple millions of listens. Yes. And 21 million monthly listeners. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. what what am I supposed to listen to of this dude's? I accidentally hit play. (laughs) That's fine. We'll just play it on the podcast. We'll probably get... Uh, DMCA notice. Uh, what's in the top five here? Faded is one of my favorites. All these songs. That's the thing I really love about his songs is that like, I feel a lot of times when I'm listening to EDM, it just blends together and nothing really stands out, but I listen to his songs and each one has like at least a moment that just really speaks to me. I think everything on this top 10 most popular is totally worth listening to. All right. I just, downloaded faded and i will listen to that and if that is good i will listen to other stuff and realistically i'll probably listen to other stuff no matter what. yeah i'm curious to hear what you think uh also i don't know when this was it was when i was sorting cards maybe a month or so back i had put out a tweet just telling people to hit me with new music and i really tried to actually listen to all of it and i just had so so many suggestions i wanted to hit, hit a song from everyone and two standouts from that bands that I had never heard of before were Vakovi and it's like Paramore adjacent, almost emo-ish type rock that I really enjoyed. And then Patrick Sullivan turned me on to his favorite band, Pinback, who I had never heard of either. And it's right up my alley, like very, very good stuff. And I enjoyed both those bands a lot. I've been listening to them regularly. I'm basically always listening to music and it rotates a lot, but those are kind of my top three most played during this period. What is, what is pinback? What are they like? Just like alternative is how I would okay. define it. Every time, and, I, every time I've walked up to P. Sully, he's had headphones on and I'm just like, yo, what do you listen to? And like, you know, just start listening to his music. It's, it's like Wu Tang or like some other rap, you know? So for him, for him to be like, Oh, this is my favorite band. I'm just like, what, who are you? Yeah, I could see you liking them. I, I think you could get into them. Maybe a little bit softer than you trend, but uh, there's there's definitely like the right emotion for you in their music, I think. Maybe like default me, but definitely not current me. Like, Right. <laughs> we all need something different right now. Yeah. Uh, Austin Cook, again, greedy, trying to get multiple questions. questions. Come on. Come on, dude. Favorite deck of all time, and was it too good? What's my favorite deck of all time, Brian? This is this is not this is not a test. This is me actually asking what you think it is because I can't decide. You have a lot of love for Mardu Pyromancer. Ooh, that, that's I, true. I think that that moment was special to you. The fact that modern looked like that for a moment meant a lot to you. Yeah, it was it was just like the seven moons aligning or whatever. <laughs> right. Because there there are so many pro tours where I play decks like that and I just get dumpstered, you know? Yeah. And I think for most periods before and after that pro tour, it was that bad. Got kind of dumpstered. It was yeah, bad. I tried it was, to play it. Was just it. A moment. It was like, all right, I go 
uh, 11 and one with my loss being in the finals in that tournament. And then I played it, I think the next weekend at the Hunter Burton and went like one and two, just got annihilated, played at some tournament after that, like went own two or something. I top 16 GP Vegas, but that was it. That was, those are the only matches I won with the deck. Yeah. It had a very specific function, a very small window and you chose well. No, I got lucky. It wasn't me making a calculated decision, but anyway, yeah, I do like that deck. Was it too good? God, no. No, no, no. Not worried about that. Uh, mine's probably blue-white millstone control. Main deck disenchants and all. Go right back to that early era of magic. I will. I was how actually is, thinking today. How have you I not should, gotten into old school yet? I was just thinking today. I, the whole old old school school vibe feels a little bit off to me. But, I don't. Uh, yeah, but but if it I, was like you and me sitting down to like build decks and play against each other, I think it would be fun. I think I just want to like build a gauntlet of that era. That's what I really want to do. That would be cool. And there's a lot of annoying decks in that period. So I think this is probably like a, a brief foray and I, it won't be something I do all the time, but there's a specific group of people who I would love to have all those decks built and be able to play with them. Dude, curate your own format, man. It doesn't have to be exact because sure. the idea of doing something like that, like, oh, old standard decks or whatever, it's like that. that's a good idea if the format was like actually perfect, right? Yeah. But and it old, was not old school is not perfect. So yeah. yeah, curate it however you want, man. Good idea. Emma, what is a theme stream that doesn't exist yet that you'd like, uh, you'd each like to see, i.e. emphasizing old coverage, making cosplays, interviews, etc. I don't know if, if I did know I would do it or tell someone else to do it. Yeah. I, I've thought about this a lot from my own purposes. And the thing I always really wanted was like, a music focused magic stream. Like I'll be honest. I don't want to sit and watch you grind ladder. I don't care. Like I, I just can't care. And in fact, my only engagement with magic streams over the past year or so has been like watching my friends in tournaments and having high stakes moments. Like that's what I get invested in. So I, I wish there was more of a focus on the people and the personalities and like, there's this weird idea gestating in my head that it's like a just chatting stream mixed with a magic stream where there's like magic games going on, but then your camera just cuts to the full room shot. And it's just you talking and I get to know more about you as a person. And like music is the thing I always come back to, but it could be any interest, like anything you care about. That's the stream I'm looking for. I'm looking for the personality I can engage with, not the magic player I can engage with. And that might just be entirely me. And it might just be me and you sitting in your stream and nobody else cares about it. Right. But that's the idea I'm looking for right now. Well, that's the thing is like, I mean, Emma's question is what would we like to see? But right. I, I don't want to say anything because it probably wouldn't be successful, you know? But like that, that is where I would try and go is like, if there is a gap in the content or whatever, where it's like, is, is this like a niche that is not being hit and could be successful? It's like, yeah, obviously someone should do that. But I don't think that the the answers to those questions are necessarily something that I would watch. But for, for me as an actual consumer of content, the things that I found the the biggest gap in is just like interviews in general where I don't I don't mean like gap like there aren't enough of them but it's just like the gap between the really good ones and the really bad ones hmm. I think is huge and I would I would pay a, a decent amount of money to 
just get like really good interviews. Yeah. I, I think that's meaningful. And again, it speaks to the people being what you're missing. Yes. You want, you want to form connections and you want to attach yourself to, I mean, it gives you a way to care about the magic in the future. Like, I think there has to be, for me, there has to be a foundation of caring about you as a person before I care about what's going on with your magic games. And when it comes to the latter, like, even if I care about you as a person, I probably can't get invested in your latter games, but it does build for the future when there's meaningful things to watch. And then I, I have to always, whenever we're talking about streams that don't exist, that I wish existed, fandom was great. Like just really good players playing a meaningful tournament every week. It feels like that has come back a little bit with Star City, but for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be taking off the way I hoped it would. And maybe I'm looking for a more curated environment than that. Like yeah. maybe I really want more of just like these people who I can see perform over time. And it can, again, you can build all of this together. Like you can get me invested in the people participating in this tournament because they've had this more person to person stream. I don't know. I, I guess the thing we're missing in our lives right now is human connection. And I care a lot more about that than watching you play magic. Yeah, the the streams that I have enjoyed watching and have tuned into consistently and like have been trying to figure out like when that person is going live is generally when their personality is really good. And in, in regards to magic, it's like tangentially related to something that I'm interested in. You know, like if, if you're someone who is great, but you're playing blue white millstone control or whatever, like I'm, I'm probably not going to watch. Sorry. It's like, you're just, that stuff just doesn't have to be on in the background. I would rather just skip that portion entirely. And like, please don't talk about your millstones, you know, but if they are a good personality and they're not providing a lot of strategic content, but they are talking about themselves and chat and, you know, the, the more amusing moments in game, or they can make the, in-game moments amusing, then that's good for me. If someone is very good at explaining things and is really focused on the strategy aspect of what's going on, then that'll usually get me. But they have to be like good in a certain way. I don't know. Hmm. And tournaments too. Like if something is something if there are stakes, then I will be interested. But again, it's like it has to be tangentially related to something I care about because I'm not going to watch limited, even if you're playing for millions. Right. New format, some, some kind of information to be derived. Chris Maz, what's a movie you actually want a remake of? I don't know. Remakes tend to improve some things, but sort of like the magic gets lost of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of like something that is outdated and could benefit from a new look. But then I'm like, well, the thing I love about it is it's outdatedness. Like I thought about the never ending story right away. And I'm, then I was like, wait a second, I don't want that at all. Like I like that this is weird and kind of cheesy and these puppets are all over the place and CGI Falcor would be a nightmare. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's just sometimes better to leave well enough alone and there should be less remakes is, is my, like I'm more into the idea of adapting a property from another genre than the idea of just making a movie over again. DT Lurch, how are you two doing? Uh, not great, but I mean, I'm alive. 
I'm, I'm going to be okay. No need to worry about me or anything. I think we're all kind of in the same boat and some people have it a lot worse than me. Yeah. That's the thing I always come back to. Like as hard as everything is, uh, I'm safe. My family remains safe. I am secure in my housing. I'm secure in my food. And at a moment like this, I don't know how I can really ask for more than that. So I am always scared. Uh, I'm always a little off my game, but at the same time, I'm grateful that things have been okay. And I, I am worried about everyone who has not been okay for, and, uh, hope that very few of you are going through that right now. I know the reality of the situation is we probably have a bunch of listeners who are going through hard times right now. And I feel for all of you uh, and hope things get better soon. Same. Steve, what do you miss the most about in-person magic tournaments? The fact that it's in person and there are other humans who we enjoy. Humans just, (laughs) just got to get some humans on the docket as, as much of a loner as I am and can be, I have crossed that threshold and I miss humans and I want to see them badly. I do like shuffling cards, but certainly humans. I have kept cards uh, on my desk to shuffle. So I am currently scratching that itch. BK Zone, how do you guys as a podcast plan to better support black people in magic? That's a good question. We, well, I don't know. And I, this is another thing Well, I will happily take a conversation or 10 about. Yeah. I have thought about this a lot and there's two like really strong conclusions I've reached during the last few months in regards to racism. Again, just my experience. It's not, don't take it for all that much. It's just the things that have been crossing my mind. Thing number one, I need to shut up and listen a lot more than I have in the past. I think just being silent and listening to the experience of Black folks is, it's huge. And it's something that I was not doing a good enough job of in the past. Like I, my opinion doesn't matter in a lot of situations and I need to recognize that more and lean into that more and just shut up and listen. And then the the real big thing is that like it has very much solidified in my mind it is not enough to be not racist you nope. have to be anti-racist you have to be moving the conversation forward you have to be actively attacking the structures of systemic racism that as much as you believe yourself to be non-racist this systemic racism has ingrained these learn behaviors because our entire system is built on this foundation of white supremacy. And it always is integrated into all of our ideas constantly. And if you're not actively fighting against it, you're letting it win. I think we failed to some extent as a podcast for that. I think we were actively fighting for inclusivity with women in magic. I think we were actively for fighting for LG. I'm, I'm butchering the LGTBQ order right now. But I I think we were fighting for a lot of forms of inclusivity and magic actively. And we were letting our not racism speak for our relationship with Black people in our game. And that's not good enough. And we need to find a way forward where we're doing more. Personally, I have tried to make myself as available as I can to all content creators. But specifically, I want to make clear to 
black content creators and black folks in the magic space, I am here for you. Whatever you need, I will elevate your content. I will talk to you. I will spend time with you improving whatever it is you want to do. You have my support, you have my year, and that's an open invitation. And I, I know there has to be more than that. And we have to think about how we can shape our content going forward to make sure we're making opportunities for black folks to get their voice out there. I don't have the best way forward right now though. And I have to continue working on that. I have to continue thinking about it and I have to continue listening to other folks about the best ways to do that. Uh, agree. Cosign basically everything that you said. I certainly agree with just the, the premise that being not racist is not enough and that you have to be anti-racist just saying like, well, I don't actively do harm. I don't actively do racist things. That should, that should be good enough, right? Like I'm not part of the problem, but you are, you know, whether or not you want to admit it or not. And it's not, it's not easy to admit that because, you know, even if, if you're not doing anything bad, like you said, like everything is constructed with white supremacy in mind and by not being anti-racist, you are being complicit in those systems continuing to exist and thrive. And someone, someone has to do something, right? Like people of color are coming at this from such a disadvantage. Everything is set up to, to win against them. You know, it's like, it's, it's all super messed up and it's, everyone's job to try and help fix this the best they can. Yeah. Spot on. So, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that I ever had a very specific like turning point for that. But it, when I think about like, you know, my actions in 2012, 2011, uh, 2010, it's just like, as, as time grew forward, I was more and more willing to speak up because the level of which I recognize that these things were wrong increased. Basically, it's like the the more evidence that is presented to me, the more angry I get, and the more yeah. I am willing to actually speak up and speak out about these things. And, yeah, and go ahead. Sorry. No, I just I, I I don't think there was ever a specific like light bulb moment where it was like, you know, me not doing racist things should should be enough or whatever and then i was just like oh no it was just like i i want to be doing more this is clearly a problem and then it, it just kind of like eventually got to that point but like i i'm i'm also still not doing enough in my mind you know and that's that's not even the whole like oh we could always be doing more thing it's like no that's that's just a fact yeah i think one of the reasons i find myself so disappointed by kind of losing sight of the goals and what needed to be done was because like in other aspects of my life, I was making steps and trying to very much shape my life around the idea of addressing these inequalities. And then for some reason in magic, it I just wasn't devoting the same amount of headspace to the black community. And it, it's a real failing on my part. And I definitely, you know, I'm not sure what led to it. Just this level of complacency and inability to really move the conversation forward. But I have a lot of regret. And all I can do is 
find better ways to support black people going forward. And I will do my best to do so. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing that I've been thinking about too. And I have some potential answers, but I don't have what I think are great answers. And that doesn't mean that in the meantime, I'm going to do nothing or whatever. But before I actually make like anything that could be construed as a big play, I want to know that I'm doing the right thing or at least have a good idea that I'm doing the right thing. Uh, but again, if, if, if people want to help with this, please, please do. And I know you said that like, you're, you're open, you're available. I I'm the same way, but I also feel like that's just not a good way to approach it because it's like the, I don't know, you know, people suffering from mental health issues. You think, Someone might be suicidal. It's like, hey, if you're suicidal, you can always contact me. It's like, yeah, but someone who's suicidal isn't thinking about like, oh, I should reach out for help. You know, it's like you have to be proactive with that shit. And right. I also don't know the best way to do that in this situation, you know? Right. So, yeah, it feels really shitty to just like put it on the person who is suffering to Agreed. do the work to reach out for, for help and everything. It's just like. Us, us saying like, oh, well, we're, we're here if you need us. You know, it's like that that is very passive to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I am trying to listen and learn and think of authoritative ways to make steps towards this goal. I Signal boosting doesn't feel like enough to me. Like there, there's something more. There's something more that we need to be doing. And I don't have the answers yet. I wish I had a well-prepared, thought-out 10-step plan uh, as to what we'd be doing going forward. I, I just don't have the answers yet though. So in a recent Twitter post, you mentioned that you were trying to make yourself available to like young lawyers who were people of color and like trying to like mentor them or whatever, but yep. it, it didn't really come to fruition or anything. Nope. I don't know. Like I, I would like to do something like that, but again, like I don't, I don't want to be passive about it. So yeah. And I, I tried to take some forward steps and just, I, I mean, look again, another indictment on me, my networks are not built to address this goal. Sure. Again, like that's, that's not good enough. Like there should be some way for me to reach these communities and there's, there's no real excuse for it, but I need to find ways going forward to better integrate myself in these spaces. And I, like I said, a lot of my goal right now is doing a lot of listening and understanding where my approach went wrong, just trying to come out this the other side, a better person and doing more for the community. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I mean, like the, the, the more all of these issues comes to light or comes to light in like a heavier fashion and actually forces you to think about them. It's, it's very easy to figure out the ways that we are failing, you know? And, yep. you know, not even like just us on our magic, the gathering podcast or whatever, but in real life too. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I mostly look at it like, can I do better? Absolutely. And do I want to do better? Absolutely. And then you try and figure out how and move forward from there. I mean, cannot take back past actions or anything like that, but you can learn from them. Uh, Tim Frank, you're playing Chaos Sealed. You get to pick the six packs. All have to be different sets. What are your six? I don't know. Why would I be playing Chaos Alpha, Sealed? Beta, Unlimited, Antiquities, Arabian Nights, Legends. Get paid. All right. You know there are not foils in those sets, right? 
I'll manage somehow. Trackball, how many more marquee mythic slash rares need to be banned in a row before we're officially on the Yu-Gi-Oh model? When will Wizards start selling tins with the new Teferi in them? Well, so Yu-Gi-Oh was infamous for basically like banning a bunch of stuff. That was their way to get uh, formats into, I don't know, just like a more balanced place rather than like focusing on actual game design, it seemed like. With Magic, I feel like they have the game design chops, they have the brains, but something something ain't right. And they're trying to learn from that. Uh, the other thing is that Yu-Gi-Oh! would have like a $100 card and then they would just release it in a tin for like $10 or whatever. I mean, maybe... Is like twenty dollars, and this is this is from me never playing Yu-Gi-Oh. This is just like from hearing people talk about it or whatever. But should should Wizards sell like Jace the Mind Sculptors for twenty dollars? Yeah, probably. I mean, they'd make a bunch of money, but like Wizards is also smart enough and savvy enough to like sell them for fifty, right? So yeah, we could do better than tins. What if we made some kind of like I don't know layer, and then we made it a secret to a bunch of people and so they didn't really know how to get it and also like the website would crash all the time and you wouldn't always get them when you ordered and sometimes they would be folded in half the execution is not always great but when it comes to how can we make money they're normally pretty good at figuring that out yeah my answer to this is they're already selling the teferi tins yeah not not doing a uh a great job of it you know i i guess like some of it is like oh look at look at these rats you know, and then when they start just jamming out like Fetchland tins, then then you know that they're really trying to milk the market, but they didn't want to like open with that. Like, hey, we're, we're blatantly just trying to get your money. So, I don't know. That's kind of smart. Yeah. Plausible uh, deniability. <laughs> I guess so. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't even know that I want to get into it. I Obviously, you need to make money. Obviously, there is a priority on making money and a economic downturn. And this is a fine way to do so, but you got to think long-term. And I wonder if there is some long-term damage being done. I don't know. Maybe there isn't. I will concede the point that I just am wrong on this. And this is totally fine. And it's only old farts like me who can't wrap their head around this new model of distribution that are really off put by this. I don't think that's the case though. Long-term, I mean, people are going to keep having kids, right? That's more people that is true. start playing magic. It's great. New generation of magic players. M Gates. Recently, one MPL member tweeted, if you dislike limited, you should play more limited. And another MPL member replied, I feel like I've tried for years, but still nothing. What am I doing wrong? Does liking or disliking limited tells us anything else about a person's personality? Saying if you dislike X, you should do more of X is the most asinine shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> let's going let's there. start I'm glad, there. I'm glad you beat me. Let's start yeah. there. Yeah, when I hate something, I just jam my head up against it, and then I eventually love it. That's the only way I actually come around to things is that I have to really despise them and then just do them in perpetuity. And then, uh, then I'm on board. That's it. Y- you realize this is an opinion, right? Like... People can like certain things and dislike certain things. We can like 99% of the same things, Brian, but maybe I'm going to dislike the thing that's your favorite or whatever. Unacceptable. Do it more. And it's like, no, if you don't like that one thing, you're wrong. Who gets to decide that? 
yeah, this is this feels a little silly to me. The, the if you don't like limited, you don't have to like limited. We all like magic for different reasons. I don't well, I've never played Commander. I don't think I like Commander. That's fine. I hope you guys still like me. I hope if you like Commander, my opinion on it doesn't matter to you whatsoever. Commander is social and this is this is my guess. It is primarily social and like look at these cool things that my deck does, right? And mm-hmm. I like building decks and tweaking numbers from like one to two or three to two or whatever and not playing games. So I don't think yeah, I, commander's I, not gonna work for you. I don't think I'm going to like commander. Although build. So like I've, I've built more Canadian Highlander decks and brawl decks than I've played games with. Let me put it that way. And I'm, I'm happy with that. That is fun for me, but it, it, it just, yeah. it blows my mind that the second person was like, responding to them in good faith like oh why am i broken yeah yeah, please please help me it's like no i feel so bad for that person man (laughs) so anyway does liking or disliking limited tell us anything else about a person's personality i think it means that they really enjoy getting small edges but don't really enjoy the act of like building the deck like, you know, tweaking the constructed deck, like learning the matchup and like doing all of the stuff that basically feels like homework that I like, you know, they want to draft because I think drafting is pretty fun. You know, I've also drafted and like not played out the decks uh, a decent amount of the time, but you know, they want to actually play the games and I don't really. Yeah. I, I like both. I don't, I don't know what to say. I like limited a little bit more, but uh both are fine. Depends on the format, obviously, but that, that's yeah. the same for constructed too. So yeah, it shifts a lot. Uh Canadian Bank. Cube is one of the most beloved casual magic formats. Should it have any place in the competitive scene like PTQs, PTs, etc.? And eh, maybe the logistics are kind of weird. I think you could sell a bunch of cubes. Like granted, you have to like reopen gold border or whatever. Yeah, but it, it seems like a good way to actually make a bunch of money if you're wizards is to have like a cube draft format and then just sell that cube and you update it every year. You put out a new cube and this is the year's cube draft format. Now, all of this assumes there is competitive magic, which there isn't right now. So this is like an, an alternate universe where you can actually sell things like this and get people together for PTQs. But I kind of like that idea. It's just hard. Nobody has really solved the problem of like, weird numbers of people showing up to draft PTQs. I I will say it seemed to go pretty well, the one draft PTQ I played, Uh, but you need a certain size threshold. So it probably has to remain a rarity, but it does seem like there's some money to be made to have the official cube for every year and just print out a fake card version of it. Let me try this. Replace cube with commander, right? Commander is one of the most beloved casual magic formats. Should it have any place in the competitive scene? And I think a lot of people would just be like, no. And the reason for that is competitive commander exists, but for the most part, it's like you want to have the sort of like casual format thing retain its magic. It's it's like specialness, right? And once you start trying to distill it by turning it into a competitive format and people are like figuring out what the absolute best thing to do is and crunching all the the data and the numbers and stuff it stops being as fun 
Yeah, I don't know if that holds with Cube. Like, I, I think there's a world where you make like a really good Cube and it's something that is like a high priority for Wizards is to have the year's Cube balanced really well and it to be like a greatest hits thing. But you just have to be able to sell them in very large numbers. And we're talking about a product that only a very small portion of the player base cares about. Like, Cube feels important. I don't think it actually is, though. Like, I just don't think it's actually a big part of the magic world, even though amongst our group, uh, it has kind of an inflated profile, I would say. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the the reason that people like Cube a lot of the time is for nostalgia, right? Like, you get to play with all these old, cool cards that you've probably played with before or seen before or whatever. And if you've been playing the game for, like, a year... Like, you're not going to know any of the cards in the cube, right? And obviously you can do like, oh, standard cube, but, you know, that kind of takes away from a lot of the the fun of it. But yeah, right. cube to me is more of a, a competitive casual, casual competitive type of format, right? And cube is also a thing where if someone has been playing Magic for like five to ten years and you, you know, they're not doing anything and you offer to cube draft with them, they will usually say yes if there's a cube. Like very few people have turned will turn down cube like regularly or whatever. I will, but that's because I've already cubed a lot in my life, you know? Sure. But yeah, I don't know. It's weird because it's it's like a casual-ish format that appeals to enfranchised players, which is pretty small. So yeah, I, I think you're right where, you know, if you're around people who are at a Grand Prix, for example they will likely have had a cube experience, but like, it's also not a thing that's accessible to everyone because it takes a lot of time and effort and energy and money to build. And I've already heard a bunch of horror stories about like, you know, people's cube getting stolen and it's like the, the most precious thing that they owned, right? Because they, they put a bunch of time into it and money into it. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's messed up. I think more people would engage with cube if it were, Low opportunity cost, but it's definitely not attractive for everyone. Yeah. Uh, Michael Higley, I find myself with a pretty good win rate in limited, but with constructed, I don't do nearly as well. What's the best advice you can give to bridge the gap between limited and constructed? I am guessing you are playing bad decks. First thing that came to my mind, just find the best deck in a format, play it till you're sick of it, until you don't want to look at it anymore. And I bet by the end of that period, your win rate starts to go up. Yeah. Also, if you're not enjoying Constructed, you just keep playing. You sit down to that table, <laughs> you shuffle up for another game of Constructed until you start liking it. And I don't want to hear anything different. So, you know, this it's it's funny, right? Because this is this is obviously horrible parenting and this is just like a product of the time that we we're brought up in, but it's like the the kind of like running gag was when like the parent caught their kid smoking and then they would just like buy a carton of cigarettes and like make them smoke until they puked and then they would never want to smoke again. You know what I'm talking about? I, I know the trope. Yeah. 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 And it's like, that's, that's does, obviously wait, does that really horrible. happen though. I that don't, doesn't actually happen. Does it? It's, it had to have started somewhere. Right. Anyway, the, the, the whole thing of like, Oh, if you don't like limited, you should just play it more. Like kind of reminds me of a backwards version of that. It's like, how is that going to solve the problem? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do this thing that you hate. And then at that point you'll like it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that logic either. No, nah, me. I. It's not. It's not good. But uh, yeah, kind of, kind of do that. Pick, pick a, 
a good deck, a tier one deck, play with it a bunch, learn the matchups, learn how to play it, and I bet you win a decent amount. Yeah, I think so. So either either playing bad decks or or switching decks or just like, you know, playing 10 games, not knowing anything about a format and giving up. Uh, Sui name, best city in the U.S. Eh, they all kind of suck right now. But um, I don't know. What's your answer? I like where I live a lot. I mean, I, I don't like actual Seattle. I, I live in Bellevue and I really like it here. I mean, there's, there's certainly problems with it, but... It, is there like a slam dunk city in the U.S.? I don't know. If you ask me in North America, I might say Vancouver, but like Vancouver has a lot of problems too. Yeah, cities are just dens of like inequality, honestly, and just huge wealth disparities, and they're always very much on display, and a lot of forgotten people in every city in the U.S. Like, there's a lot of the same problems all over the place. Yeah, I like Seattle a decent amount. Basically, I don't know, sort of like. Seattle, Portland, Richmond is kind of getting this way where it's like, you know, becoming a little bit more progressive, a little bit more uh, techy in some spots and a little bit more hipstery, I guess. But, you know, just like that, that vibe is kind of cool to me as long as it's not mm-hmm. super overdone in one way or another. Yeah, the Pacific Northwest has a lot of unpretentiousness that I really like that certainly living in New York City felt like the exact opposite. And then the, it's it's more about the surrounding area than anything else. Like the nature here is so unbelievable that it's a huge, huge reason why I answer the way I do. A good French dip wants to know favorite meal of all time. Are we supposed to answer Pizza. with their screen name? I don't. Well, I'm not going to. But uh, I don't really care for French dips. So I'm just gonna go pizza again. <laughs> Me either. Eh, pizza's good. I'm trying to like my favorite meal for me tends to be like a good sampling of everything. You know, just like an okay. an actual feast where it's like, all right, you got like some good green beans or asparagus or something, and like. I wonder. I wonder if this question is about a specific meal we've eaten, like having gone somewhere. Oh, maybe. Or- yeah. Anyway, yeah, That's just like, you know, some sort of green, some sort of starch, some sort of meat, and I just get to feast. But, yes, specific meal is going to be either people-related or it's going to be, like, one of the few times I would, like, win a reverse credit card game when I was poor. Okay. <laughs> Those are good answers. I, uh... I specifically remember... Winning, uh, I think it was like 13 or 16 people where it was uh, me, Dan Jordan, and I think uh, Ken Adams, the only people doing the credit card game. So then it was like the reverse where second place got all of the money from all the other people and first had to pay everyone's bill. Okay. And I won that one. So I got like 300 bucks and like did a lap around the TGI Fridays or whatever we were. (laughs) Big score. It was more so that, that Dan Jordan lost. I wanted to rub it in. Nice little Dan Jordan hatred. One of my good friends, Dan Jordan. Go ahead. Fire at him. Hatred is strong. <laughs> if I had to come up with a favorite meal of all time, I'm going to go with my wedding dinner. That's good. Yeah. Uh, it, was so- just a, like, it was a really good meal. Food was really good, uh, but certainly more for the people and the times. Yeah, I wonder who would ever answer this with like, I ate this meal alone with no human contact or like nothing else going on around it. Like I just ate in silence 
and that was the best meal I ever had. It's always related to say, something else, right? No, no. So I wasn't going to answer specifically that, like a meal in silence, but I was thinking about a meal I ate again while I was an intern uh, at the law firm in New York City. And obviously it was at a place that was just like stupidly opulent and I would never ever go to myself in a million years, but that's what like the law firms do and they wine and dine you during your summer internships. And like the company surrounding me was not something I was at all interested in. Like I was very much a fish out of water, but the meal was actually that good where I almost made that my favorite meal of all time. Okay. Hmm. Ye old baron of bacon. Wants to know Jerry versus Brian Olympic decathlon who wins each event. I would just assume that you would smash me in all of them. All right, here they are. Tell me if you think you have a shot in any of them. Hundred meter dash. Uh, I mean, you run all the time, but like, I also don't know if if you're really fast. I would, like, running was never a thing that I was great at, even though I feel like I should be built for it. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Is I I'm not a sprinter, and you're like you're definitely longer than I am. So I could see this being an event that you could possibly take. That makes sense to me. I think, I think my like 50 yard dash times were fine, but like my mile was usually, it was like around eight and usually over eight, eight minutes. Yeah. So when uh, the only time I ever ran the short dashes was when I was over 300 pounds and I was very fast for my size, but not like actually fast. And I don't know how that has carried forward into my old age. I assume I'm not very fast. Probably one of us is just getting injured in the hundred meter dash and it's going to be a draw. Well, anyway. Dude, that that's, that's the whole thing about all of these. It's just like, in what comical way are we going to get injured? Right. Anyway, what's the next like, one? Long jump. Again, I, like I feel like you're better built. For yeah. The long jump I might, I might be able to beat you in long jump, I guess. I think that's possible. Shot put. I think I'm going to take this one. What is that? Uh, you like throw the big heavy ball oh, as far as you yeah, can. Yeah, I can't do that. Come on. Uh, high jump. Again, I I just think your build is better suited for that. Yeah. So I could see you winning that one. I was I was okay uh, at high jump. 400 meters, I think I got you in. I don't think you can beat me in that one. It, de- it depends what we're doing this for, you know? Because if I had to like kill myself and just like sprint the entire time, you know, I, maybe but I doubt it. Yeah. You have to have a long stride in the 400 meters. It's, it's like almost okay. a sprint, but a weird sprint is the best way to describe it. And I think just like a lot of distance running experience cat carries me there, but maybe. Yeah. I, uh, I think I could just push myself and do these things in an unhealthy manner, but right. And then die afterwards. Yeah. But if we're, if we're doing like a lifetime average where I have to do this multiple times or whatever, you're going to crush me. 110 meter hurdles. Like I don't think either uh, of us can do a hurdles course. That just doesn't seem plausible. I would I would just like trip and break my face on the yeah. third one or something. So right, that's what I think too. Discus throw. I think all this throwing stuff goes in my favor. Pole vault. Now I'm scared of heights, and I really don't want to pole vault. But I don't know. Like, do we do, we have to do this dark right? Like no practicing because obviously I've never pole vaulted in my entire life. But I feel like no, if I could get the form down. I could probably do it. I don't know. I don't know what is being tested when you're pole vaulting. It seems like a very strength, balance, agility mix thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, we both die. It's a tie. Yeah. 
that does seem like the most likely outcome. Uh, javelin throw again. I'm just like default giving myself to throwing stuff, and then 1500 meters. I assume I'm going to win that based that's, on distance running. That's a lot of meters. I'm just I'm just yeah. gonna be like I'm off it like 100 meters in. I'm just done. So it's it's pretty close. I think we ended up with like a four six split on these. Whatever. I'm not I'm not mad about that. <laughs> I don't know. That's, I'll do a decathlon for charity. If we raise $1 million, I'm willing to participate in the men's decathlon for I'm, charity. So I'm willing to do a lot of things for charity, but like, I don't know. These uh, these things I feel like are just designed to make me miserable. <laughs> this is like the anti-Jerry decathlon. I, w- I would rather just like mow my lawn for an extended period of time for charity. You know, it's like, right. I, I also hate doing that, but I'm not going to die doing it or whatever. You know? It's true. It's a very safe event. I don't know. Croots, uh, what's your favorite sensation? Could be physical, smell, taste, sound, or emotional, or conceivably anything else. Emotional for me is like very powerful to the point where it kind of weirds me out because I like, I can't stop it at times. You know, it's like, I don't want to be feeling sad or don't want to be feeling angry and I can't help it. So I would not say that that is my favorite. That is probably like one of my stronger ones, I guess. Taste and smell are kind of whatever. I, I do like sound a lot though. Is this a is this a ranking? I don't is know. Is asking for a ranking here, or is he asking I, for one physical no, sensation just, I, or one sensation of any type? I think that he's is our favorite. I think he's just asking for one, but I was like kind of talking my way through it, you know. Okay, that's okay. all. Do your thing. No, that, that's it. I mean, I I don't have an answer to this question. This is like so. This is the broadest question. This is the actual broadest question I think you could ever ask a human being, right? Yeah. Like, I, can you possibly get broader than this? I don't know. Maybe, maybe touch for me, actually. That might, that might beat out sound. But yeah. Emotional. I, I feel things very strongly and it, it kind of like weirds me out. Cause I can't, I can't like change the channel, you know, I just don't have any right. control over it really. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I have a good answer to this question. Maybe I can take some time and think about it and give an answer over in discord, but I, I don't have an answer right now. Okay. Quinn Cognito, what's the best question to ask the podcast to ensure I get a shiny pin? Basically anything that makes us think. And I feel like Quinn should be pretty good at this. I I also think there's probably like a statistical edge to asking a question not about the thing we're speaking about. Like yes. I think that's oh, a big part of it. 100% because we're very likely to talk about that on that episode. Yes. Yeah. And also just be like worn out on the topic and looking to talk about anything else. True. Boo Wax. If magic didn't exist, what would be your competitive outlet? I don't know because I think that before I started playing in magic tournaments, I just had this void that I didn't know was missing. And it wasn't just that it was a competitive outlet because I I did play sports when I was a kid and uh, like, you know, played them in like actual child leagues or whatever, but also like played them for fun. And just like the, the team aspect of it, I, I didn't really like, I, I wanted things to just challenge me and to do things that I could get better at. And I didn't have that. Do you know what the problem is, is that the answer to this question can only be magic because a large, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you. I have a feeling you'll feel the same. A large portion of why magic works is my competitive outlet 
is because and like I say this with like a little bit of hesitation, but I, I do know like at its core, it's at least somewhat true. I'm in the top echelon of magic players in the world, right? Like there's some level of achievement and capability I have, even if I don't put myself on like an elite plane, I, I do know I still rank in like the very high reaches of magic. And if I wasn't among the best in the world at this, I don't know that it would speak to me the same way. And I know that because every other thing I try and do competitively, and I'm just like maybe slightly above average at, or maybe just bad at, I just go, okay, I'm done with this and move on to the next thing. So I don't know that I would have found the right fit if not for magic. It, it would be a bunch of like failed competitive endeavors and maybe like quasi competitive stuff like beer league softball or something silly like that. But it would have never filled the same role. So I don't think that applies to me because I don't know. I've, I've tried things that I've been good at and it's not like, oh, I stick at this because I'm winning or whatever. It just kind of like becomes boring. And when I started playing magic, it was really hard and I was not good at it. I had to learn all this stuff. I didn't have like a, a gaming background, a game theory background or anything. I had to learn all of that stuff. And I had a, a fairly good teacher who was like more experienced than I was. So he was able to like lay the groundwork. And then I started using the internet more when I was at school. We didn't have it at home. And I sought out information and tried to absorb as much as I could. And eventually I got good at it, but like there was definitely that quest for getting better before I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like if me, me being bad or me being good, like put me off of a thing, like I would have given up at some point. Well, I think one of the reasons why that didn't happen with magic. Certainly I had to go through the same growing process, right? Like I wasn't a savant who immediately understood, but I think I, not on purpose, but just by weird happenstance, I think I kept my pond small enough until I was like at the spot where I was supposed to move to the next level. And it just worked out by sheer luck every time that like, as my playing field got bigger and as I got exposed to better and better players, it was like a moment where I was closer to able to deal with that. Not to say I was always ready for the opportunity, but I was in the range. I never overstepped my bounds. And if I was just like day one of playing magic walked into a GP, I would have been absolutely clowned, but I didn't go to my first GP until I had been playing magic for 16 years. So my world had always just been small enough that like I, I grew in line with what I expected from myself, I guess. So if you look at my DCI history, I won my first sanction tournament. But before that, there were a lot of unsanctioned tournaments I played in that I got dumpstered in. And yeah. also just like had very negative experiences with like, you know, some some dude in the first round of the very first tournament I played in just like lied to me about how the rules worked and won straight up because of it. Hmm. And magic used to be such a crappy place. I'm so glad that's not the world oh, yeah, anymore yeah. where you could just blatantly <laughs> cheat people. So, and I found out like right away, you know, it was like my, I, I, I was questioning what this interaction was and the person explained it to me and I'm just like, I don't think that that's right. And he was just basically just like, well, I'm, I'm good at magic. So obviously I know. And it's like, he, mm -hmm. he knew, but he was just like cheating me. And then I talked to my friends about it afterward and they're just like, yeah, that's not how it works. And I like 
looked it up and checked and whatever. And I was like, well, that sucks. Why, why would that dude do that? You know? And I just, I lost like all of my matches, you know, but that just gave me actual data to give me things that I could improve on. It's like, get better with the rules, understand what's actually going on. And for tournament conduct like that, it's like, what happens when something is happening to you like that? What are, what are my options? Like, I didn't know that I could call a judge and maybe I could, right. maybe, maybe one didn't exist because it wasn't sanctioned. I don't know. But yeah. Just, it's things like that. Like I, I like having actionable data and areas that I can improve on. It gives me a target to hit. Sure. It's like, I suck at this. I don't want to suck at it. So how can I get better? And then I figure that out. Well, Felvin asked Jerry, which Pokemon VGC team we should be playing. I don't know. I haven't been paying attention for uh, a week. Like I did a lot of work and research and practice stuff before the actual season started and the season started and I haven't played on ladder at all. So love that research. <laughs> Much like my experience with magic, a lot of deck building, a lot of theory crafting, the ladder shows up and I'm like, eh, not so much into this ladder. Well, I, I played a bunch on showdown to figure things out. So it was like, okay, I, I did my due diligence. I figured out kind of like what the format is. I have a good idea. And then the actual ladder happened in game. And then I didn't play any in game. And it was basically just like the, the time it sort of passed where mm-hmm. I was invested in this thing. And then I tried to move on to the next thing. Uh, sure. So yeah, I, I actually don't know. Kyle. I say trick room. Trick room. Yeah. Big trick room fan. That's, that's just all I know. Sorry. <laughs> Kyle Hamilton Lecky. What do tier lists mean? It's pretty nebulous and not very helpful. They kind of don't mean anything. So if you just want to ignore them, that is completely viable. You can and probably should do that. In my mind, like if you take present standard, for example, tier one would be band midrange and team reclamation. And Brian would say Jun sacrifice, but I would have Jun firmly in the, again, this is why tier lists suck. I would have Jun sacrifice at tier 1.5 or whatever, which again, just makes it more nebulous and even less useless. Uh, but those, those tier one decks are basically better versions of what everyone else is doing. Or if you look at their matchup spread compared to the matchup spread of like a tier two deck, they are almost certainly going to have better numbers across the board. So tier one is almost strictly better than a similar thing in tier two and so on and so forth. Yeah. I don't think they mean anything. I mean, it's just shorthand. We use that's, to try and that's how I look at get it. on the same plane and all of these, all of the language we build around not only magic, but like our experiences is we're just trying to put someone on the same wavelength as us. Like that is entirely, we have this internalized feeling and we want to share it with someone else and let them relate to us. And I think the fact that tier lists are universal means that the way you perceive tier lists probably lines up with the way I perceive tier lists, even if they don't have specified meanings for each tier. Like you're getting approximately the same idea when I tell you this deck is tier one, this deck is tier 1.5. That maybe that fails sometimes. All language fails sometimes. So that's just the consequences of having imprecise language. So See, it's it's a flawed attempt at trying to get across my internal feelings about a format. I agree with that. I disagree with the premise that our 
definitions of what tier lists are probably align with each other's because tier lists are a simplified form of communication. And I think that that is what appeals to people and that's why they use them. And I disagree with the fundamental existence of tier lists because of nuance. Do you think that even if our tier lists don't capture the same nuance, they represent the same conclusion? Yeah, but that that's not a good way to communicate, right? It isn't, but this is also a shorthand form of communication, right? It's not it's not detailed discussion, and it goes back to like I can't tell you how many times I've had a discussion about how we title a podcast and people feeling like, oh, titling this is clickbait or this title doesn't actually express anything. It's like, I know, I know that. I'm I'm trying to get you to understand what we're going to talk about. And the reason we do a podcast is so we have space to explore that nuance. So something like a tier list functions as a framework. It's never supposed to provide the entirety of the conversation. It's just supposed to be a launching point for the conversation. Dude, can we talk about podcast titling real quick? Sure. What do you have to say about podcast? Oh God, so much. Um, My goal with a podcast title is basically to just get you to listen to it because I think once you're listening to it, you'll enjoy it. And that's fairly cocky, but keep in mind that if you are reading the tweet or whatever, where you see the podcast title, I am already assuming that you are a person who the podcast will appeal to, you know? And I think we do a fairly reasonable job. I mean, if you're willing to listen to a magic podcast, you could do worse than listen to ours. So, uh, clickbaity. Yeah, kind of, but like, I don't want to be clickbaity to the point where, you know, like the, the clickbait things, the, the original ones were bad because they would like have you open it and then like say nothing basically. And I think we do the opposite where, yes, we get you to click play on our thing and then we say everything and we explain yes. it and we do a good the job. The title says nothing. Yeah. The, the clickbait is the thing saying nothing. The, the title literally can't say everything because a podcast is about nuance and especially our podcast, right? Like we, we try to get to the heart of things and explain why things are the way they are and how you can potentially change that paradigm. And we cannot explain that in a podcast title, at least not in a way that is actually going to get you interested in clicking on the podcast. I have said in the past that I hope that my legacy as a magic player is that I am remembered as someone who often and routinely admits mistakes and being wrong about stuff. But here's something I'm just positive I'm right about. Like all of the bashing and baiting we have taken from the titling it's just like there's no good answer here our job is to tell you what is roughly going to go on in the episode nothing is going to perfectly convey that just let it go <laughs> like we're not manipulating you that's never our goal is to trick you into listening yeah it's it, ju- it's just to set the stage and open the door for you yeah it's not even like you click play and we bombard you with ads or whatever, you know, it's like it, it has no, right. We've done four ads in the history of this podcast. Right. <laughs> what it, are we trying to sell you? It's not beneficial if we trick you into clicking on the podcast and then you don't like it because then you don't listen to further episodes and that's not our goal. 
right? It, it, right. It's, it's not even like we get to sell you a Toyota or whatever because you listen to the 15, first 15 seconds. Like that's not what's happening here. Like if we are trying to trick you to hit play on the podcast, it's because we think you're going to stick around. Yep. We just want you to give us a chance and listen. But, no manipulation. But again, uh, we can always be trying to do things better. We can certainly be doing things better. And we, you know, Brian and I talk about this at least when we when we did talk and had like regular business lunches and stuff. Or is like that, that you make it sound like I've I've abandoned you no, and refused to well, talk to you these days? I, I moved away, and there's a pandemic. So even if I didn't move away, like would we be meeting in a box boarding house like every Tuesday for lunch? Probably not, man. No, we couldn't do that. Uh, so yeah, like the, those those conversations just don't happen. And certainly, like whenever we would have those meetings, like I would show up with ideas, you'd show up with ideas, and neither of us has put a whole lot of thought into ideas at this point. So anyway, uh, when when we had those conversations and we would talk about the, the titles of the episodes and like certainly when people would be like, uh, clickbait garbage, whatever. It's like, well, what did this cross a line? You know, because like the other thing that we thought was kind of clickbait garbage, like no one complained about. Um, but this one got some complaints. So maybe this crossed a line or we could have explained it in a different way or whatever. And yeah, we're we're always trying to do things better, and this is this is certainly one of those things where it's like it's it's not clear if we're doing it right or not. We just we don't know. We just have to like throw things at the wall and see what sticks, basically. Yeah, no right answer. MG Bomb eighty nine. Last question: If the twenty twenty version of you could give the twenty ten version of you one piece of magic related advice, what would it be? I wouldn't focus on magic related advice because that's irrelevant. I would tell 2010 me a lot of things. And because it was 2010 me, I would probably not listen. Yeah. 2010 me was not great. Uh, 2010, guy, 2010 me was way better than 2005 me, but right. still, still pretty shitty. My, my big theme with my life is that if I'm not embarrassed by who I was five years ago, I'm not growing enough. So I, I am fine with not liking 2010 me all that much. If I had to tell that guy something it would be man it's this weird mix and it always kind of is with me it's this simultaneously wanting to have more confidence and to believe in myself and also shut up and listen to other people and those two things sound like conflicting goals but i think you can do both i think you can accept that you don't know everything and also trust yourself when you feel like you do know something. Confidence and arrogance look pretty similar a lot of the time. And yeah, I think and I, I had way too much arrogance and not enough confidence. Yeah. That was the problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can look at it like you are not sure of yourself and your own decisions. Therefore you don't do the thing, even though you have this inkling that it's correct. And you could be like, Hey, you know, trust yourself a little bit more or whatever but you can also be confident in your own conclusions and also be listening to other people and having that inform your conclusions without being arrogant and abrasive about it. Growing is a complicated process. Uh, I will continue to work on it. And I, I don't think I have any magic advice to make it easier. And even with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, it's still hard to coach a person. Dude, to it's literally 2020 hindsight. Yeah. Ha. This is the first time that's ever been used accurately. Uh, yeah. It, it's still impossible to coach someone to be better. So it, you just have to give yourself time to grow. 
and it it will come. It's it's not impossible to coach someone. I feel like I could coach someone, but it would be a process. It would take a long time. Could you coach 2010 you? Uh, so if, if 2010 me were coachable, which maybe I wasn't, but I, I'm just saying yeah. like people in general, you know, like if you're seeking out coaching advice, but yeah, I mean, I, I believe in the ability of people who want to learn to learn. Yeah. It's just sometimes yeah. it's hard to cross that bridge. Right. And those are the people that I would actually want to coach. Um, mm-hmm. but so 2010 versus 2020 me, I don't think that there is a large gap in actual play skill, like raw play skill, but there's certainly a lot of knowledge I can impart as far as uh, how to create content, deck selection, things of that nature. And I think, I think 2010 me would listen to those sorts of things, but I don't know. It also depends on what my goals are. Like one of the things that I think about a decent amount was like, if I didn't play such bad decks, my results would be a lot better and people would think that I was better Mm. than I am. But at the end of the day, does that actually matter? Again, like if I'm, if I'm spewing off all this time travel equity to tell myself to play better decks, it's like, what the hell am I really doing? So I'm not sure that that is the, the advice that I would give myself. Like if, if I had like 10 seconds to like get a message out real quick, I don't think it would be that, but I think that I could very easily have double the results that I have. This actually brings up something I was thinking about today. And it was a question of myself. And I was thinking how I always felt like there was a deck I could build or something I could do outside the meta that allowed me to gain an edge. I always felt that way for years and years. It, and There is, but it's minus EV. And your EV is much better across the board, across a big sample size, if you're just playing the, the best deck. Right. And, and I agree with that now. And that was part of my question was, I, I was wondering how much of the change that brings me to agree with that is a close in what's possible because of these outlier, insanely powerful cards. And Sometimes you just can't overcome that. And how much of it is due to my own maturity and recognizing that this just isn't possible in a lot of instances and not having tricked myself into these bad decisions I used to make back in the past. And I think like most questions of this nature, it's nebulous and you're never going to get a satisfactory answer. And it's a little bit of both. But if I had to lean one way or the other, it's probably just way less tricking of myself and has less to do with the dramatic swing and power level of these cards. Yeah. I mean, I think that that might've been truer back in the day where you could, you could get a huge edge by finding something that's outside the metagame, but it also takes a lot more time and isn't statistically relevant for the amount of time that you're putting into, you know, trying all these new things and whatever, like yeah, you can, you would literally just show up with Bant or whatever, every standard tournament do basically zero work. Don't try any new things and like still keep crushing it rather than showing up to a tournament with a deck that you're, you know, like 40% sure is slightly better than Bant or whatever, because a lot of the time you're going to be wrong. Lesson to be learned, take the easy way out. So for example, obviously Cobblade was busted, right? Maybe that's not even like the best example. Like Delver was busted. Delver was less busted than Cobblade. And my results with Delver are basically like off the charts absurd. And it wasn't that 
oh, I was like innovating every week or whatever. Uh, it was just Delver was the type of deck that I enjoyed to play. And it was the best version of the type of deck that I enjoyed to play. And it also happened to be the best deck. So those eras are just like throughout my career, I basically only played the decks that I wanted to play mm -hmm. that I enjoyed. And at various points that happened to be the best deck. And at that point, you're just like, wow, Jerry wins all the time. And it's like, yeah, if I just played the best deck all the time, instead of the best Jerry likable deck, my results would be a lot better. And I, I also could have just like spent a bunch of time doing God knows what else, because I wouldn't have had to like keep trying all these weird, stupid Jerry decks. Do you think trying those stupid decks informed your ability to recognize the best deck? Mm. or does that even matter anymore is the answer so patently obvious and like so distilled by data that you don't have to have this unique ability to be like this is the best you can just listen to a podcast and they'll tell you what the best deck is repeatedly until it gets banned in formats like this certainly but uh, there, there are definitely formats like during the cons era that we were talking about where being able to select the right deck on any given week would give you way more equity than just playing Abzan over and over again because yeah. there wasn't a consensus best deck. Okay, I like that example. But at the time, I wasn't really thinking of like trying to learn that or hone that skill. It wasn't until probably like 2013 to 2015, somewhere in there, where I was like, oh, this is a thing that I actually need to try and learn because like before I just wasn't even thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if, if I wanted to win more, that's what I would tell myself. Realistically, I would, hopefully I had, you know, like six hours to actually discuss content creation. And I think I could have gotten started down a better path a lot sooner than I did. Interesting. The con content creation angle, uh, I, I just don't know what I would tell myself about that. I think I kind of needed time to figure out what I wanted to say in the magic space. And uh, I am glad I came along the way I did. I guess I would tell myself to keep being nice to Jerry because he's eventually going to come along with a really <laughs> good opportunity. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to launch a lot of stuff for you. So just keep that guy on your good side. I think that you would have been more willing to put out content if you did have confidence in yourself. Like either, yeah. either your ability or perceived ability or your ability to make content or you know, how you thought people were going to view you being like a relative nobody making content and saying things, you know, like, I, I think that 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 was the thing that I realized about you that was a conversation we should have had a lot earlier. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, there's that 2020 hindsight popping up again. Yeah, but even I knew it at the time. It was just like, I don't know, is this something Brian actually cares about? Right. It's just like, completely unsolicited advice at least it it felt like but when when i invited you to do the podcast with me like we had conversations along those lines right and at that point i was just like dude no what are you talking about like this this is the way it's gonna be you know like you are gonna say smart things you're gonna have a good track record people are gonna realize that you're legit yeah that conversation i i am thinking of the specific conversation you're talking about and that probably save the podcast. Like I think had we, and granted, like it was your podcast at that point. So it was always your call to make. Like now I think we have 
an equal ownership in terms of like the direction we're going to take and mostly because we're on the same page all the time. Yeah, but yeah we are. At that moment. That's, that's been really nice, by the way. Right. At that moment, it's your decision to make. And like you made the right decision in terms of how we were going to go forward. And basically to pull back the curtain again, I thought we needed a framing that was like basically me coming on and questioning you every week and trying to mine your opinion. And you're just like, nah, you're going to give your opinion and it's going to be good. Yeah. I was like, okay. I guess that's what we're doing. I was like, nah, man, that's, that's bullshit. Like this, this is going to be both of us. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about things. We're discussing things like I know you can hang and you being able to hang is going to show that everyone else that you can hang, you know? Yeah. And if we had gone the other way, I think it would have been a pretty short run. We would have been wrapped up around at what episode 45, 50. I don't know. I don't know. Certainly I mean, not may, like 193 as we're doing presently, I think. Our, our, we, we never thought that we would get as big as we were, as we are. That's true. Right. So it's true. We, we could have gone on for a while with like the same numbers or slightly worse numbers and still continue doing it. And maybe we'd still be doing it and still have like a fourth of the audience or whatever. I don't know. But mysteries. I, I, I definitely would have been unhappy at, at some point. Like if somehow you convinced <laughs> right. me that that was the right way to do things and I just rolled with it, I would have just been like, dude, why are we doing this? You know, like. No, I would have too. It was 100 percent the wrong way to go. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm okay at this. I think people, if you talk to me about content creation, uh, I, I feel like I'm going to have pretty good advice, you know? Been at the game a long time. Plus you have all that advice from future time traveling, Jerry, AKA the Riddler who came back and, you know, gave oh, you all God. those secret it, tips, it all so. comes, it all comes full circle. How did we end on a time traveling question when we opened with this? <laughs> I feel like we've been loaded with time traveling this entire show. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, to to your credit, you you listened to me. I don't know if it was a result of me presenting my case or just simply refusing to back down. I, I honestly couldn't tell you, but I'm I'm obviously glad that we went the way we did. Yeah, I think you just made a good point. It's, and uh, it just would have been disingenuous, I, man. I I think I think I just knew that. Like you would be playing a character, right? You would just be like, oh, right. I don't understand like why this is the way it is. Jerry, please tell us. And it's like, I I don't want to be that person and you're not that person. So, yeah, one of the things, you know, I do spend a lot of time talking to like people who want to do more with content. And one of the things I am always very adamant about is like figure out who you are, figure out your voice and then never alter that. Like you just have to be. A hundred percent genuine all the time because the moment you try to create a persona for yourself, they can tell. It, it's not only that; it becomes ten times more work too. Well, and yeah, like, true. You're, it's, and I'm not even just saying that, like from a lazy point of view. It's just if you are so focused on maintaining that persona, then other parts of your analysis will slip. Like it takes a lot of mental space to be able to hold up as you know, I am this guy on the podcast, as opposed to just I am me presented. It, it it's a lot. It's an entirely different ball game, especially when you have other goals in mind. Maybe as an entertainment piece that works fine as a teaching piece and a learning piece, it, it just doesn't fly. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're, you're not actively trying to be the character or whatever. It's like, Oh, I want to be a teacher, but I feel like it would be better if my persona were this way or whatever. It's like that, that especially doesn't work. Yeah. And I lived a little bit of that when I did, you know, I used to podcast with KYT 
and kind of the way we set it up from the beginning was I would be a bit of the like provocateur of the cast. Like I would try to get a rise out of people and say things that were a little bit contrarian. And then everyone hated me. Like just all of KYT's Canadian audience are just like, who is this idiot? Please don't have him on the show anymore. And I'm you, I mean, you know me very well at this point being hated by anyone is like too much for me to bear. It drives me insane. And I'm like, I'm miserable. Why am I making myself like the, the jerk on this podcast? I don't want to do this at all. I don't think I knew that. I feel like I kind of knew that, but maybe I didn't. I I don't know how much of it comes across because again, I'm trying to play a character, but like the response was, uh, it it was split, but like, I, I always said I got more negative feedback from doing that podcast than I got from this podcast, which is like a 20x audience, you know, and you would expect it would go the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, that is wild. I mean, I, you're you are genuine, you know, like we we try and keep it real. For sure. And we try to keep it under three and a half hours. Just barely. Yeah, I just checked the time. I was like, oh, it's probably like two hours, right? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we should we should oh, just wrap man. this up. <laughs> a lot of words said this week. Maybe, maybe, maybe piece this one out over a couple days, folks, to anyone who actually made it to the, to the end of this in one sitting. Hell yeah. Maybe hop around and time travel a bit through the cast. Who knows? Maybe. All right, sign us up. I'm going to go take a nap. That's game. Good luck.